Welcome to the Andy Social Podcast. This is episode 195 with Andrew Mackay Smith, the man behind the Scars and Guitars podcast. But before we kick into this week's episode, my name is Andy Dowling, and I host this little podcast of mine. And I also play bass in the Australian metal band Lord. And we have a brand new album out called Fallen Idols. It was a top 20 debut in the ARIA charts, number two debut in the independent Australian uh, charts as well. And we are all guns are blazing. You can check out our album by going to lord.net.au. You can check us out on Bandcamp, Spotify, Apple Music, Amazon, wherever most places you can get good music. We do it all DIY, you know, but you should be able to find us pretty easily. And uh, great feedback so far. Thank you so much to everyone that pre-ordered the album, sold it out. The first pressing, it's long gone now, and the second pressing is selling wonderfully uh, to date. So thank you so much for everyone that's been supporting the amazing reviews that have been going around the place um, and feedback from everybody. Uh, not a lot of criticism criticism at all. It's been absolutely fantastic. So thank you, thank you, thank you. And I'm going to chat about this album and Lord a little bit more in this particular episode. So I'm going to stop crapping on. Now, in addition to playing in a metal band, I also host the Self Starter Podcast, which is all about small business, self-employment, and freelancing. So if any of that floats your boat, you can go to selfstarter.com.au. Season two is up now, and we are running that until the end of this year. Season one's still available, so you can go and check all that out. But if you know somebody who is in the self-employment game, has their own business, or a little side hustle, earns a little bit of money on the uh, weekends, or somebody you know who is all talk and just needs to kick up the ass. Go and direct them to selfstarter.com.au. Lots of great stories from people from uh, different types of industries and backgrounds doing lots of different things and uh, lots of great insight and also lots of reassurance because the self-employment game is not an easy one to uh, to do. So go and check it all out, selfstarter.com.au. You can find it in your preferred podcast player and uh, hope you like it. It is the shout-out time. Every week, I thank some champion that supports the podcast. And it can be a range of different ways. It could be a message of encouragement. It could be buying some merchandise. It could be a review of the podcast. It could be sharing it around, a bit of social media love, tagging your mates, you know, all that kind of stuff. Small, big, it doesn't matter. It helps. It keeps me mentally stable. It keeps me fueled. It keeps me going. Uh, this podcast stuff can be really tough at times, especially when lots of other things are happening. Um, you know, especially in the last few weeks for me, far out, like the album, the tour, um, normal everyday life. And, um, I well, by the time this episode comes out, I should be already back in Sydney, but at the time of recording this, I'm in the process of relocating back to Sydney from the South coast. I'm back baby. So, uh, there's been a lot going on and uh, really exciting times. Life is fantastic, but it is overwhelming in particular moments. So when I get these little extras from people, it just, it's so cool. Uh, even the smallest of gestures goes a long way. It just keeps me, uh, keeps me looking at it all going, yes, I'm, I'm doing, I'm doing good stuff here, or I'm on the right track. Just keep going, keep going. You can do it. So thank you very much to everybody. This week's shout out, because I only think one person a week, I don't have a lot of time is for Jim Holland from Manchester in the UK. Jim flicked me a bish out via the PayPal button over at andysocial.net. Um, a few dollars and all it said, he's a man of few words, all it says was, cheers Andy, 
and that's it. So Jim, thank you very much. Um, cheers to yourself. Really appreciate the, uh, the money and, uh, yes, that money will go towards beer. So less of my personal money goes towards beer and goes towards the podcast. You like that way of indirectly supporting what I do? There you go. Love it. And, uh, when you hear this, uh, Jim, please flick me a message. I'm going to send you out a few little, uh, goodies. I've got some stuff lying around the house. Um, as I, well, at the moment while I'm recording this in the process of, uh, packing things up and moving back to Sydney, I'm decluttering stuff and separating things and finding, uh, lots of odds and ends. So I'm going to send you out uh, some interesting stuff. So when you hear this, please uh, shoot me your details and I will flick you out something in the post because we all like getting something in the mail. Now, also, if you go to andysocial.net slash buy stuff, this is a page that I've set up which has links to all of the places, the things where I sell shit. Not literal shit, you know what I mean. So you can go to the Dominus Records uh, online store there, uh, the Lord online store, um, Andy Social, uh, where you can get merchandise, etc. I've got an eBay store, which has got a mixture of all sorts of odds and ends, uh, you know, bits and pieces that Jess and I own um, and want to get rid of. Decluttering, um, there's probably more stuff on there now since we've been going through this uh this uh, period of time where we were moving back to Sydney. Um, and also a Discogs page, which has got uh, 17 to 1800 CDs, records, cassettes, DVDs, metal, rock, pop, blues, jazz, whatever else. There's heaps and heaps of stuff on there. Um, so you can go over to andysocial.net slash buy stuff and you can check out all that stuff. If you decide to buy anything from any of these platforms and you've heard me talking shit in these intros, please make a little note, a little message with your order just to say that you heard me talking shit during these episodes and I'll include some extra little goodies in there. It's a great way of me knowing that people are listening to me crap on and it appears people are, so thank you very much. And uh, and just a, a great way of just saying thank you. You guys are supporting me. When you buy stuff, the money just goes back into the things that matter the most most to us, um, ourselves, like, you know, our, our lives, you know, making sure that things are paid for, um, but also all the projects that we've created, you know, um, all the things that we set up. This podcast is one of them. Uh, all the new little projects and things that are in the works at the moment, um, it, all, it all helps. It goes back into these things where... Where, um, we're using our creativity and, and just trying to 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 build things and, and put stuff out there for people to enjoy. So um, it's a great way of supporting us. So thank you very much. And speaking of thank yous, I'm just going to flick over my little piece of paper here because I've got a bunch of names. Uh, a few people to just to say an additional shout out to. Uh, Yasna from Temuco in Chile. Jan from Toronto in Canada. Michael from Baito in Poland. Mario from Monza in Italy, and Hector from Her Hermosillo in Mexico. Jeez, that's an eclectic group of countries there and places far out. Guys, thank you so much for supporting me. It means a hell of a lot. And as always, folks, and as I said before, uh, go to andysocial.net slash buy stuff and any support you guys throw our way is just absolutely incredible. So thank you very, very much. Alrighty, this week's episode is with Andrew Mackay Smith, the man behind the Scars and Guitars podcast. If you're not familiar with it and you love a bit of metal and rock, then you need to go and check out his podcast. He interviews and chats with the cream of the crop in the metal and rock world. Every time there's an album being released or a tour that's upcoming, especially in Australia, Andrew is there asking the hard questions, getting in deep and personal with these amazing people that many of us have idolized for quite a few years. And for whatever reason, Andrew decided to get me on his podcast. So this is a bit of a different episode for me because 
Normally, the podcast is me interviewing somebody else and having a chat and learning more about them. And we did a bit of that, but most of this chat is Andrew talking to me. Um, I decided to repurpose his episode and put it on mine as well, so you can get to hear a little bit of insight from my end about the new album, Fallen Idols, Lord, and a number of questions around that that Andrew fielded my way. And I also asked him a bunch of questions about the uh, inspiration behind the podcast, how he does it, so some of the approaches that he has to take, and he shared a couple of really cool stories um, about uh, people that he's spoken to over the years as well. So um, this is a bit of a long one. Most of it is me crapping on. Actually, I always crap on, so there's no difference here, folks. Um, if you want to go and check out Scars and Guitars, sorry, I'm trying to spit it all out, you can go to scarsandguitars.net. Um, you can find it in all of the uh, usual podcast haunts. I think uh, I think Andrew also hosts his podcast on Wooshka, same as me as well. So there you go, fellow, fellow Wooshka friend there. Uh, but uh, you can go and check everything out in the show notes over at andysocial.net. I'll have links to the original episode on Scars and Guitars, um, some of his other great uh, episodes. So I'll go through and find some really cool people that you guys might get a kick out of. And uh, you can hopefully enjoy it. So enough crapping on for me. Please enjoy this great chat both ways with Andrew McKay-Smith. Mate, plugging away, just the usual grind with the kids and swimming and getting them home from school and all the rest of it. But I can't complain, mate, too much. You know, it's just life. <laughs> well, I don't you know, have... We sign up. Yeah, okay. We, we, we sign up for these things where we... <laughs> Not when you have kids, you know, and you've just got to do it. But it's it's all right. I'm just trying to get one of my daughters up to the next level in a swimming class. Oh right. But, uh, have you got Have you got kids? No, I don't. I've got a I've got a pet cockatiel uh, called Larry, Larry Burb, and um, that's uh, that's a far that's enough responsibility for me. That's close enough. Well, what you want them to do, you want them to put in the requisite effort that actually gets a pass mark in front of whoever it is that's instructing them. And they did that tonight. And instead of usually when they're swimming, they're doing corkscrews when they should be doing backstroke and all this sort of stuff. And, and I mean, you know, our part of the world here, mate, if you don't swim, that's a danger. You know, they've been swimming since they're bet too. Oh, right. Well, you know, and uh, we're on the sunny coast a lot. And they're always in the pool or at the beach or doing something like that, and they're only four and six years of age, but I never, ever want them to be in a position where they can't handle themselves if they accidentally get put into a pool or something. Well, it's a good call. Um, uh, my parents certainly didn't didn't do that, and um, it wasn't until I was, well, geez, uh, probably well into school and uh, had to go through the dreaded you know, uh, swimming lessons, and uh, I, I struggled, mm. um, I think, not just – the, the actual swimming part, but I think just the, the fear of water and just trying to work yourself out and navigate how, how to handle it all. And um, mm-hmm. I saw a lot of other other friends that sort of were just, you know, not literally speaking, but thrown into the pool at a, at a very, very young age and were able to yeah. adapt. So it's um, it's a very important thing to do. Yeah. Mate, you're from up my way, aren't you? Are you from D-Bay or Scarborough? Oh, very close. Uh, yeah, born and bred in Clontarf. Oh, there you go, mate. I was only there. My mother's got a place there, actually, at Redcliffe, so we're yeah, just right. up there on the weekend. Um, nice part of the world, man. Yeah, it's certainly, I don't know if the right word is gentrifying, but it's definitely <laughs> happening. There was some of those old, you know, traditional Redcliffe shacks opposite some pretty palatial-looking places that people are building at the moment. So it's definitely, you know where Moncomo is around there? Do, yeah. My, my mother's place is just next to that, so you know oh, where I'm excellent. talking about. Yeah, 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 for sure. It's um, It was, I mean, my, my well, my mum grew up in Roma 
and uh, moved to Redcliffe um, with her family, I think when she was in her, her mid-teens. But um, they used to always go there for holidays. And sort of in the 50s, 60s, 70s, it was the holiday destination. Everyone travelled from regional Queensland to, to Redcliffe yeah. and would have their little holiday places and rent a place out and caravan parks, etc. It was this destination. And then I think sort of... 80s into 90s, it just went in the opposite direction, and you know it was coined the term "dead cliff" for, for years. There it was just nothing going. On. It was like a retirement village, and um, and it's pretty much. I mean, I moved to, I think I moved to Sydney end of no beginning of 2006, and it was only around that time and since then that they've just pumped money into the place. And yep. Obviously, like anywhere in the country, uh, you know, property value and house value have gone up through the roof, and. It's just uh, it's it's a destination now again. So it's um it's nice to go back there and I go oh man I wish it was like that when I was here like <laughs> but it's it's nice and my Something parents are still there. Yeah, is that cool? Yeah, well let's yeah I was just looking. There's a place um, on the same street my mother's place is on. Mate, it would probably go for about four million dollars if it was in Sydney, but it's going for four hundred grand up here, right? And I'm thinking, my God, I'm thinking, do I have to spend four hundred grand to buy this? I mean, it's one of those really rundown Queenslanders, so you couldn't live in it. It's land value alone, absolutely. But you're starting to think, my God, I mean, you're literally across the street from the water. It's not, you know, it's not the beach on the Redcliffe Peninsula there, but it's sort of like the bay bit there, Morton Bay. But still, you're right near the water, and you can walk along that in the morning. I mean, God, you, know, you could stay in it and do it up if you had the means and the, if you were willing and if that's what you had, you know, you had sort of 18 months sparing your life to do, God, it wouldn't be a bad effort. But yeah. it's, uh, you just sit there's on still it. some opportunity. Yeah, there's still some opportunity there from that perspective, I think. And it's a really nice part of the world. It's, um, but I mean, you, you're not being from Sydney, you know what I'm talking about. Everybody from Sydney thinks there's only three places up here that being, uh, Noosa and Bi- Noosa, Brisbane City, and Byron, and that's it. <laughs> <laughs> you, know, you talk to people from Sydney and they're like, oh, you know, I, I'm going up to the Sunshine Coast, but really what they mean is Noosa. Yeah, yeah. Uh, oh, absolutely. <laughs> uh, there's, um, it's, I mean, it's even worse in certain pockets of Sydney, and I'm, I'm sure you've had experience with this in the past where um, for about, oh, actually, no, I did two stints um, in the Sutherland Shire. So I lived in Cronulla for a little bit and yeah. um, another stint I lived in Kirrawee and the the Shire there is the most insular uh, place in the world. It's they they coin it God's country and they never leave. So anything outside of the Sutherland Shire um, is foreign to them. It's like going to another country, let alone traveling interstate or going overseas or anything like that. So it's um, when I was living in that area and just talking to locals and people I met, they were just uh, they they couldn't grasp what was happening outside of their borders. And I was just like, oh geez, it explains a yes, lot to their weird. reputation. But um, yeah, especially if they went on any sort of luxurious, amazing holiday, it would be uh, it'd be the Goldie or something like that. It's like, oh, yeah, fair enough. Parts of the yeah. Gold Coast aren't too bad. <laughs> yeah, other parts too clear. Yeah, well, I'm from the Gold Coast actually, so yeah. it's uh, Northern Gold Coast here. Yeah, we we get a bad rap here, but um, oh, I think it's just because it's the you know the so-called glitter strip. I'm sure if you follow rugby league, you've probably been following all the issues that mm. we've been having with the Titans lately. It's, honestly, it breaks my heart to be honest with you. Because the team was never set up appropriately to buddy begin with. A Queensland team should never wear sky blue. I'll tell you that now. <laughs> never. Okay, being a bit parochial, but it's just the case. And I think I used to work for Telstra. I used to be an account executive, and I, I looked after them for a period. Uh, yeah, I used right. to look after right and so i got didn't get intimate with them or anything like that like i couldn't tell you about the operations but i knew what they were going what was going on from an it perspective and 
and I'm right in saying this. So I'm fair. It's fair to say this because they've changed owners since, but they never had any money. And I'm thinking, why did when they set up the organisation, you know, that centre of excellence that they put in there? I know this is a bit off topic, but bear with me here. You know, <laughs> you're right. <laughs> the the centre of excellence, and I'm at Bond Uni these days, which is now Bond University. Hmm. I remember when that was on the footy show, and Fatty was crying about it. You know, as you're supposed to. You know, you're supposed to pump up these things, but you go in there, and there would be like tiles and the inside of the roof missing, so you could see all the exposed electricity cables and stuff mm. and and i thought this was in about 2009 or 10 and that was even that was pretty early on in the piece from when they first came in but mate, they have always had troubles that's my issue they've not my, my point here is that they've always had financial difficulties you know they've never had a leagues club starting up a club from ground up i don't even think they should have done it it should have been a like a a brisbane club from the old queensland competition that should have been rebranded and bought in and maybe just called the second brisbane team rather than the titans i'm sorry but as a gold coaster even i feel that way it's just it breaks my heart to see both of our most prominent teams being the suns and the titans get shellacked every bloody weekend it's <laughs> drop the <laughs> drop the mic, but it's. I mean, I think. I mean, I don't know a lot of the the back the backstory with the Titans and sort of its origins, but what I've seen with a lot of um, sort of other examples of uh, you know entities and franchises uh, being sort of established or you know uh, new teams, whatever in the sporting world, um, you find that there's a lot of people that come into the whole. Um, domain with no prior connections with that industry. So, you know, people that have got a lot of money rolling the dice, looking for a short-term, you know, uh, investment, uh, you know, win, windfall and going, you know, if I pump some money into this, I mean, the short term, I should be able to flip it, should be able to get it into a, into, totally. into this great, uh, great territory and then I can walk away and sell it to somebody else. But there's usually... I think you sort of work on a knee-jerk reaction. You work really quickly. You don't do a lot of that sort of insight and understanding. And these people have usually got, you know, more money than sense. And and then eventually they disappear, and someone else has got to pick up the dregs, and you just never quite catch up. And I'm, I mean, I don't know if that's if that's 100% uh, the story with the Titans, but I've certainly seen that with other. I mean, the NBL. I'm a massive basketball fan. I've seen yeah, likewise, examples yeah. of that. Um, you know, over the, over the past several decades with with that league, and um, it's amazing to see what that what the league has done in the last couple of years um, to mm. sort of really reestablish and rebrand themselves. But you know, it's just a bunch of a bunch of people just coming in from all sorts of different backgrounds, and just you know, oh, that sounds like fun. Let's uh, let's see what happens. Let's dump dump a load of cash and uh, just cross our fingers and see if we can work out this uh, this sporting thing and uh, see if it see if it's something worthwhile. Yeah, you make some really good points there about the NBL because I too followed. I used to play basketball, and mm. you know we had the Rollers here, which be, which yeah. then were left, and then they became the uh, Drag. No, I don't even know what they were called when they came back in when Shane Hill was in the scene. I can't, I can't remember. Oh, yeah, sorry, it's going back a bit. Yeah, yeah, and then um, Singapore Slingers, and you had a few That's others. You've got there's always these mini Victorian teams and the like. But look, I'm a Cairns fan. I go for Cairns, yeah, and yeah, uh, uh, the. The, can, the, the council has a lot to do with their success in terms of their financial because they're backed by the council up there, mm-hmm. Cairns Regional Council. And, mate, those nights when they play, um, I used to work up in Cairns and that's when I got into them again. Um, you know, you can't you can't get – there's heaps of people out. It's great. It's got a family vibe. It's got a great atmosphere. I try to go to the games down here whenever they play against the Bullets in the uh, convention centre there. Mm. But it's uh, – doesn't quite have the same atmosphere as what it did in the 90s, you know. And I know you've interviewed Leroy Loggins, a legend, you know, for the Bullets. <laughs> yeah. You know, going to the entertainment centre and when the Sydney Kings were... Oh, they're sort of coming back up again, aren't they, really, the Kings? But you need a strong Sydney and you need the Melbourne Tigers back in. That's what what else you need, not this Melbourne United business. Oh, uh, look, it's um, it's going through a bunch of 
transitional phases, the NBL, and uh, it's certainly, I mean, it's exciting because they're, you know, you've got some guys in there that seem to be looking at a long-term strategy rather than sort of quick wins. And I think they're mm. really trying to win over, you know, the the illustrious NBA and and a lot of a lot of young guys are actually carving out uh, the beginnings of their careers in the NBL now. It's it's almost like uh, instead of going to you know, college in the US, you come to the NBL and, and cut your teeth and, and that's fantastic. But um, I certainly still get that vibe. I mean, I haven't been to a Bullets game since they've reestablished themselves, but I mean, the, I mean, it, it's like anything, you know, years, years, years down the track, you sort of look back, everything looks nice and shiny and glittery and that nostalgic vibe sort of kicks back in. But uh, that mm. the energy that you would get walking, walking up to the front steps of Boondle Entertainment Center and, you know, mm, people yeah. everywhere and they had the little stalls out the front downstairs and you walk up into the foyer and, and then you know, obviously walk into the main, the main arena and everything. It was just a fantastic, fantastic atmosphere. And, and I think, that's, I mean, I haven't been to a, a Taipans game, but I assume that's probably got a little bit of that, um, that sort of en- similar energy because it was a real family event. I mean, we used to, uh, part of my sort of uh, background, I, I lived in Rockhampton for a few years. So I was up in central Queensland yep. and, uh, mm-hmm. and so we used to do holidays back down to, to Brizzy and to Redcliffe and, and visit, uh, visit the grandparents or whatnot. And, um, you know, it would be a bullets game while we're down there, you know, make, make the most of it. And yeah, make the most of it. It was just, yeah. uh, it was some great, great memories. But, um, I think, I think what you'll find, and look, I mean, I'm just, I'm just, you know, there's no, there's no expert opinion here, but, uh, I, I think what we'll find is over the years to come as the NBL continues to, to sort of make progress and really solidify itself is you'll probably see a lot of, uh, these older teams reestablish themselves and come back out of the woodworks. So I think, I think Tassie eventually get their team back. I think Canberra, yeah, the, will, uh, the cannons will probably, cannons. yeah. yeah. Uh, and I'm, I'm, I'm gunning for them to come back. They need, they need the cannons there. And, and I think some of those teams will come back partly for nostalgic reasons, but I think also those local markets will start to see that there's actually monetary value in, in doing it. And as Cairns have done really smartly, as you said, like they've, They've linked themselves in with the council, um, and they've they've obviously lobbied quite hard to you know show the council that there's real value in working together. Mm. Um, that brings must bring you know the local area a hell of a lot of money and and notoriety. So, you know they've just got to use that formula and apply it to other parts of the country. But um, yeah, oh man, I could like if you get me talking about basketball, man, we'll be here all night, <laughs> and I'm and I'm I'm more than prepared to do so. So I'll I'll let you uh, I'll let you run the show, <laughs> but I'll try to rein myself in. That's good, mate. Well, you're, you're a podcaster as well, so you know how these things go. But look, let's talk about this album, okay? Because yeah. you know I'm about to bestow a heap of compliments on you. You've seen my tweets and mm. about it all, and oh, look, I actually think that Fallen Idols, and I'm you know I, just, I don't say these things unless I mean it, but I do believe it's a contender for album of the year. Thank you, and you know. From my perspective, it's a great album with a perfect cadence for swimming to. You know that. I've posted that, and I don't think people believe me until I <laughs> had to put that video up because to show people how I listen to music, but, yeah, it's there. So I listen to it when I'm swimming at Bond and also at um, Ellensvale Swimming Pool. Yeah, the thing that I like about it, let me get to the detail. It's got an urgency the late 80s Metallica would have killed for. Now, I, I don't deny that and justice for all if they got the production right would be well probably their best album to be honest with you uh you know and turned up jason's wicked bass playing but they didn't do that <laughs> so and, and i think that elements of they elements of them getting it right in that album are here in this album here fallen idols and um there's a few choice color covers that i think you've chosen for good measure you know and we'll talk about that a bit later but you know all finished albums you know they make the creators feel a sense of pride i get that i've been part of albums and eps but but I think this is the album that you guys have been threatening to make ever since the, the Dungeon 
era, whenever that was, so 20, 25 years ago or so. So what are your thoughts after I bestow that compliment and issue those? <laughs> well, thank you very much. Um, I, I think <clears throat> over the past several weeks, I mean, the album came out last week officially, but um, we, well, there's a long story. I won't get into it just now, but um, we were planning to release the album a lot earlier and uh, things didn't go to plan as a lot of uh, album releases tend to go. And uh, we found ourselves uh, with a tour uh, that was happening uh, before the release date of the album. So we decided that um, we would try and make the most of the situation. And we had actually, uh, we already had the album pressed locally in Australia. So we thought we'll uh, make the, the CD available shows and people can uh, can pick up their copy and listen to it early. And we just thought, oh, we'll roll the dice with torrents and all sorts of stuff. And we just trust our fans and hope they do the right thing. And um, over the past several weeks, um, I don't think, and look, I, tr- I try to be really modest. I think it's sort of in me. Um, I don't brag too much but um i've i've never received so many compliments and uh, us collectively as a band never received so many compliments um about anything we've released like we have for this album it's um it's unexpected in a way because i think the album itself has been in the works for several years um it's been six years since the last studio album but we've done a lot in between um but we've the concept of kind of what we wanted to do and the direction we wanted to go has been there for a few years. And, you know, a lot of different things have happened along the way that have stretched that out, um, you know, not to, not to our liking. And um, I think it got to a point where we were almost at the end of it with um, a sense of exhaustion and we just wanted to be over and done with. And um, I think towards the end of this sort of period and going into the tour and, and coming up towards the release date, I, I said to the guys and they didn't, really agree with me and I just said look I think my opinion here my sole opinion is that I think in time and it might not be instantly but I think this will be the album that defines us as a band and um set in stone I think up until yeah, that agreed. point has yeah. been that that album that people constantly refer to and, and associate with us um and for good reason I mean we did a lot of a lot of video clips we put ourselves out there quite a bit with that album and there's a lot of songs that still uh, stand the test of time, uh, you know, um, 10, mm-hmm. 10 odd years later. Um, but listening to this album and I had a bit of time to sort of sit and listen to it sort of a little bit detached from it all. And I thought, you know what, I think, I think potentially there's some ingredients here that could make it work and could really sort of, uh, stick out against the the rest of the back catalog and the legacy that, uh, even as you said before, the, the dungeon era as well. I mean, we've still got a lot of legacy there that we, we don't shy away from. So, um, it's, it's been, incredible uh to see the reaction i've sort of part of me has gone yep okay i think i think where my my gauge was going i think we could be on the right track but i never expected the reaction um that we've received so far so it's been good it's been it's been fantastic yeah great great and and more detail for you is uh for example i'm a riff man as all us Mm. metal fans generally are but mate that pentatonic riff and bear with me here yeah at three minutes 40 of united the title cut i think you know the one that i'm talking about yeah mate that is enough to make dave mustaine blush he wishes he wrote that okay i need all these quotes to put online i'm going to refer to all of them thank you andrew well that's all good brother it's all meaningful you know but look the point is there's there is a trove of other killer riffs that's just the one that really stands out for me because you know I've, I've been listening to it when I'm swimming, so you don't get all the detail, mm. but I get it, I get some of it, and I know when that song comes on, I'm ready. When that comes on, it just gives you that adrenaline surge you need to get to that end of the fifty really quick. But you know, the, the point is, as I'm saying, that the there is a trove of killer riffs. They're original, they're heavy, and they're meaningful. Okay, really important point there. They're meaningful. So, who writes this stuff? Is it is it the old good old benevolent dictatorship with uh, comrade Tim at the helm there, or, or do you all sort of contribute and just sort of make it work? Well, maybe just to take half a step back, um, 
you know, one of the things that we decided several years ago, I, I would just, I'm going to throw a number out there. I would say three odd years ago, we, we were sort of thinking about, you know, what that next album was going to look like. We'd sort of uh, fixed up a number of other things in our back catalogue and cleaned up a, a few other things that we needed to address, re-recordings and re-releases, et cetera. But um, we sort of thought, well, what do we want to do with the next album? We'd we'd uh we'd gone down the path of these epic long long songs we did the the 24 minute uh song on an ep what tomorrow brings and all this sort of stuff and we obviously re-recorded a lot of the old dungeon back catalog as well and uh, we sort of all agreed that you know what like we need a real sort of focused to the point in your face metal album it's like in a way no frills um in the sense that it doesn't sort of it's not something that you have to put a lot of energy into building a tolerance for it and then eventually liking the album. It was something that we wanted not to make it too, uh, too cheap either, but we wanted people to listen to it and hopefully very quickly identify with it. And so we needed all the elements that made us who we are up until that point, all, you know, the choruses, the solos, those riffs, um, and, and really sort of, uh, celebrating where we've come from. And the other focus around that was Tim had a, a vision, um, where, going back to his sort of adolescence, you know, mm -hmm. growing up in Broken Hill where, you know, they would go to these house parties and drink ridiculous amounts of alcohol and they would have a, a boom box there with uh, mixtapes and they would ha just have a, a random selection of songs that they'd all dub dubbed on cassettes and it was just to appease the, the party there and all their different tastes. So they would have everything from Bon Jovi to Bathory to create it to Slayer <laughs> to Dokken to Queen's Rock to everything in between. And yep. it was just this weird mix. But for them at that time, it, and especially in the location that worked, Broken Hill in the middle of nowhere, it was just all metal. It was, it was, it was all heavy riffs. It was just all loud guitars, big choruses. There's a bit of aggression and urgency to the music. And it was just something that was exciting and a little bit dangerous. And they weren't worried about the subgenres or the elitism that was associated with, you know, a lot of that stuff. And uh, mm -hmm. it was just this really amazing time. And when he shared that with us, we, we started thinking about our own experiences getting into music for the first time. And especially, you know, for me, you know, seeing Fear of the Dark, you know, Iron Maiden live at Donington on Rage when I was a kid and just like trying to wrap my head around and go, what, what am I watching? Here? I remember that. I, I don't get yeah. it. I don't get it. And, you know, I wasn't allowed to watch it late at night. So I recorded it and I was sitting there in front of the VCR, rewinding it on a Sunday morning, like trying to, trying to digest and, and dissect what yep. was going on. But also <laughs> time on a tradition. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. And, um, you know, and like the year and a half of Metallica videos and all that sort of stuff. And I, I just remember just that, that energy, that electricity. And so we all shared these stories and we thought, let's do our version of a mixtape. Um, this is the ultimate mixtape. Um, it's not going to sound dated. We're going to use modern production. We're going to make it sound fresh. So when people listen to it, they don't go, oh, this sounds like, well, this sounds like it should have been 20 years ago or something like that. It sounds like it can sit there with whatever's coming out now, but it's got Agreed, all those yeah. elements that make people feel, they, they just get that, that same energy that they would have got when they first got into metal. And I don't know if that completely hits the point with everybody that listens to it, but uh, the feedback that we've got so far has been really good. So, taking that, that half a step or probably 20 steps forward again. Um, the songwriting for the album, um, look, I, 
we'll, we definitely want, I definitely won't hesitate. Tim Tim has always been the primary songwriter in the band. Uh, he has he's led the band since he he came up with Dungeon back in 1989, and he's he's sort of just been the driving force. And and I always call him my, our secret weapon, but I mean he's not not much of a secret really. I mean he's the front guy in the band, but um, he he sort of had a lot of ideas in his head. And Mark um, over the years of him being in the band has stepped up quite a bit as a songwriter. And the two of them for the most part have written the majority of this album. Um, they got together they both had individual songs that they'd carved out and they also just basically threw riffs at each other until uh, songs were forged out of that and and you know I've got a little bit of a contribution uh, in the album somewhere I can't remember kill or be killed somewhere um, which I think was a riff that I wrote when I was 16 years old that sat on a sat an old tape oh, and Tim Tim mm-hmm. had it sitting in a folder and he goes I think we can use this now and I'm like oh cool sounds good um, but I think we've always taken the approach with songwriting that um, whatever it's the, it's the best tool for the job needed. So if somebody's feeling it and they've got the momentum and they've got that energy, then we, we let them go. And just as long as it fits into that framework and that formula of what Lord is, and we've, you know, I, I wouldn't be able to articulate what that is, but I think when you listen to our music, you'll get an understanding of what Lord sounds like. Um, as long as it fits into that, um, <clears throat> That we don't care who writes and we don't care who contributes as long as it gets to that final uh, final end end goal. So, the right tool for the right job. And uh, those guys just stepped up. And uh, from my end, I, I took a bit of a step back and I went, guys, go go for it. <laughs> this is amazing. So, Sweet. Yeah. And, and I think that's helped me as well. Going back to what I said before about you know making that statement about the album being a bit of a you know a defining it could be potentially a defining uh, part of our band as uh, looking back in time time to come because. I've I've taken a bit of a uh, a detached approach where I look at the album and I listen to it from a from a bit of a fan perspective. I mean, I grew up listening to Dungeon. You know, I I went to Dungeon gigs when I was turning eighteen. Mm-hmm. I was just a, a massive fan, and it was surreal to be able to, you know, become friends with those guys and eventually join and you know tour and just and obviously be a a long term member of Lord now uh, for however long fifteen sixteen years. So, um, I. I had a lot of nostalgic feelings and surreal feelings of me going through all those moments in time and listening back to it. And I think that gave me, I felt like it gave me justification to make some of those statements. Um, and uh, yeah, very long winded answer. Sorry, Andrew, but um, yeah, that's, no, that's, that's good, a, a bit of context good. behind, um, I guess, where the songwriting's come from, who's sort of uh, contributed to it. And I guess, yeah, um, my sort of uh, take on it all. Mm. Well, what about the song um, Immortal? Now, that to me, and I really had liked this, actually, and if you're a metal fan, you'll get where I'm coming from. But is that the sample, is that the bell sample from For Who the Bell Tolls that you've included in that? <laughs> I, I do not know, actually. Um, I, I would say it not. It sounds like. I would say not. Oh, because, not. No, because only because there is, and I, and I definitely won't say what it is. Um, I'll leave it to yourself and the listeners to work out where, where these little Easter eggs are, but there are. I believe at least one. There's at least one. I think two other things that are hidden. Well, probably not really hidden, um, but are in the album somewhere where we thought, "Oh, I don't know whether we should use this or not." We thought, "No, nah, let's let's use it and let's uh, roll that dice and see how we go." But um, no. The- yeah, I heard the Tornado of Souls riff too. <laughs> I, I did hear that. Is that the other one? <laughs> no, it's not. It's not. But oh. um, but mind you, I've had um, a couple of um, interesting uh, takes on a few riffs here and there where people have actually. I mean, that's 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 probably a really great thing um, about the album is that people have been able to hear particular parts of songs and go, oh, man, that sounds a lot like Skin of My Teeth by Megadeth or that sounds like, um, you know, Metallica riff or Slayer riff or Creator riff or whatever it is. And 
not that we've sort of sat down and listened and dissected those riffs, but I think they're sort of ingrained in us because we grew up on that stuff. And I think yeah, it just, agreed. And yeah. I think that's all it is. And we've just tried to sort of channel a lot of that inspiration rather than trying to suppress it and trying to be original or find something that's dynamic and new that's going to cut through the noise in the market and everything. We just thought, you know what, just loosen it up a bit and let's just let 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 the metal flow to be really cheesy. Um, but there are. Oh, a that's a great of, statement. Yeah. Are you borrowing from the great Chuck Schuldiner there, man? And oh, that's, yeah, absolutely. And that's a really nice thing to say because that's exactly what you've done here. You know, I'm, I'm, I'm picking up on these things that any real, you know, when I say real, not cult, but real heavy metal fan, someone that the fan, the music is in the heart would actually, you know, really appreciate that you guys have done with this. Because as I say, I, I, I thought it was the, um, you weren't copying it, but you've got a, a slice of, uh, or you're emulating the Tornado of Souls riff um, in, you know, it might be United, God, United's full of them actually, because it's just such a killer cut. But, you know, all across it, there are familiar riffs that expand and update on the original. There you go. That's what happens. And that's when I'd say it's meaningful, brother. That's when I'd say that it's meaningful because you're listening to it and go, Man, it's like listening to one of my favourite records, but it's been updated. A hundred percent. And and we wanted to try and capture that as best as we could. And, and look, we'll never – I think it's great to hear that and great to, to hear your comments because it, it validates some of the stuff that we've had in our head and what's in our head versus what the final – out uh, you know, the product is going to be can be two different things. So you can have the best intentions, but uh, what you eventually put out into the world could be polar, mm. polar opposite. So it's good to to see that some of that stuff has hit. And I think the other cool thing, people that have listened to uh, Dungeon and Lord over the years and have really, I guess, paid attention to what we've been doing, will hear um, there's a lot of tips of the hat back to previous Lord albums and previous Dungeon albums as well, where we've sort of, uh, we've sort of just. I think we've gone back and celebrated what we've done and we've looked at elements of songs that have really sort of left a lasting mark where people still talk about it. And mm-hmm. I think some people might sort of go, Oh yeah, what are you doing that for? You know, you should be, you should be really sort of focusing on, on complete originality and not sort of going back and, and sort of rehashing anything. But I think we've just, once again, it's like, like the Megadeth and Creator and all these bands, I think we've just tried to be inspired by what drove us in the past. I mean, we would go back to Ascendance for us and that album for us is, we we look back on that album quite fondly because there was a real energy in the band and uh, a real focus for us to prove ourselves. We still had a lot of naysayers at the time that weren't interested in Lord. They thought Lord was a lighter version of Dungeon. And so we had mm, people that were very okay. uh, on one side of the fence and basically saying, you change your name. Most of the, the Dungeon lineup, so to speak, had moved on and uh, we're not interested. We're not going to pay attention. And so we really made a focus to make an album that was going to address that as best as we could, you know, and just do it our own mm-hmm. way, of course. But um there was a lot of fun around that album, a lot of excitement and a lot of energy. And so we, we went back to albums like that and just listened and went, oh, I remember, I remember like all of us getting together and, you know, doing gang vocals in the studio in Wollongong nice. and, and getting yep. all this stuff together and just the, what else was happening in our lives. You know, I'd only just recently sort of established myself in Sydney. So there's a lot going on in my life and all the other guys all had their own sort of milestone moments around that time as well. So Yep. a lot of great nostalgic feeling and so we wanted to capture that so you hear in the album throwbacks to to dungeon uh to early earlier lord albums and things like that where we've just we've gone back and thought let's see if we can get a little bit of that essence and sprinkle it back over the new album and uh and i think uh, well, we feel we feel that when we listen to it now mm. actually you mentioned dungeon there because i do actually own resurrection nice yeah. uh that was when I remember getting that when it came out. I ordered it. I had the mail order catalog. I don't know whether you remember this, but Warhead Records Warhead, in yeah. uh, 
Parramatta, I think mm. it was. They they used to have a shop called the Hammer House, I think. I think I'm right in saying that. And you, they used to be able to order things from them. So I remember ordering a bunch of stuff through them, and one of them was a resurrection. And, yeah, there were two bands. This is back in the deep, dark, late 90s, early 2000s, <laughs> when metal was about as popular as a you-know-what in a punch bowl. <laughs> but between you guys and Pegasus or Pegasus, I don't know how you pronounce oh, it either way. Yeah, you know the one I'm talking about. Mm. Um, the um, Stodge Brothers, I think. Are they still going, Nate? You know, are they still? They, I wouldn't say they. Uh, they might be on hi- hiatus. I think so they still exist. Um, they do play the odd show here and there in Melbourne, and sometimes they'll they'll do a couple of shows in Europe. But I haven't seen a great deal from them recently. But uh, yep, uh, who's it? Johnny Stodge, I think. Um, he's, Stodge, yes, yeah, Stodge. So yeah, he's. Yeah. Uh, He's still there in, in the helm, and um, I think they've had a bit of a, a, a few different changes in lineup. But uh, yeah, they still they still exist. Yeah, I remember that that our resurrection, and there was one that was released about the same time from those guys, and I remember cranking that stuff. Mm. But that was the only music back then that you could really hear. And I really and I've spoken to um, oh the name escapes is going to escape me here, and it's going to be shocking. The singer from um, Ed Guy, uh, Tobias. It is. I had to buy salmon on my tip of my tongue, but I didn't think it was him. But anyway, um, so I remembered when they toured. I don't know whether you remember this, but they toured, and I remember sort of after that was two thousand and two or two thousand and three. The floodgates opened for no bullshit heavy metal. You know what I'm saying? <laughs> not death metal, not black metal, not any of the cold stuff. Just heavy metal that you could have a beer to and not worry about what you were dressed up in to go to a gig to. That's when I. That's when I started to notice a bit of the change. So I think Dungeon. Well, Lord, you know, the same band effectively. So am I right in saying that? It's a continuation of the, the same thing or does, does Tim view it as two separate entities? No, I think, and this has always been a difficult thing, and I think we'll always be explaining this until the day the day that uh, we all die, but um, it's, mm. it's a continuation of the band. I think the argument or that well, debate that we put out there is that, um, you know, if – if nothing changed, if 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 the name remained Dungeon and uh, just continued on, then Dungeon would be releasing Fallen Idols today, in theory. Um, so the, okay. the lineup yeah, changes ahead. would have happened anyway. The the progression, the direction it's of the music, etc. Um, and that's a hard thing to explain to people when you know. And I think about my favourite bands that have changed over the years. Um, it's it's a very difficult thing to educate people on. But um, yeah, that's that's where we sort of we view it and why we we take we make a big effort to sort of acknowledge mm. the dungeon era and play a lot of the dungeon songs and and not shy away from a lot of that stuff because it's basically the first part of Lord's existence. Yeah, and, and not to speak for you here, but there could have been issues with some of the earlier band members too over who actually called the band Dungeon too. I've, I've had that situation in bands and you just sort of, you know, I've not been in any bands of any serious prominence or anything like that, like what Lord is or Dungeon is, but, you know, sometimes that happens in, and even bands where there aren't, isn't any serious attention or prominence, you just ditch the name because you don't want to have any issues later on in case you do blow up, you know. Yeah, and Yeah, definitely. And I think, I mean, I, well, I'm sure Tim would probably cringe because I should know this, but um, I can't remember who, I'm, I don't know if it was Tim that, that came up with Dungeon, but um, I think one of the big motivators towards the end of 2005 when the decision to change the name came about was Tim had a real sort of focus to to expand the sound and, and do more. Um, I think Dungeon had sort of been, especially with... Uh, you know, getting signed in Europe and the the European label really making a, a concentrated effort to pigeonhole the band as much as possible as a power metal band, and that's it. Oh yeah, that and, old chestnut. Yeah. yeah, and and look, that I get it. Um, they've got a market and they've got to try and sell sell albums, and it is what it is. But um, Tim wanted to 
expand and bring a lot of extra elements without you know completely reinventing the wheel but there was so much stigma around the the name dungeon that he he i think he felt restricted by it but at the same time and i think it was just timing unfortunately that you know there was significant changes to the lineup at that stage and i think they just come off the back of uh you know a big european tour um that was quite successful and they did a number of other things um back here in australia a lot of international supports but sort of the foundation sort of came apart and I think Tim sort of looked at it and went, you know what, I think this might be good timing. I think this might be the sort of signs pointing in the direction that I, if I'm going to make a change, I'm, I'm going to do it now. And so yeah. I think part of it was letting go of a lot of that and leaving the past behind, but sort of going, I can I can move forward and, and try to, to go in a different direction. And, and I think we've had teething, teething issues along the way and growing pains to try and work that out. But... Um, I think now we're I think we're more mm-hmm. more happy than ever to sort of bring it all together as a, as a sum total and and we're finding actually just a really quick comment um, with this album one thing that we're just surprised by and even just the shows around the country is where people are coming to these shows that haven't seen us since Dungeon people haven't listened to us since Dungeon they're like oh, there we you heard go. about yeah. it through or we saw you know United on YouTube or whatever it is or somebody sent me a song and oh my god I didn't realize what you guys have been doing for the last fifteen years I'm like oh. Welcome back, you know, like here, come along and you guys, you know, no hard feelings, but come along and enjoy it. And so that's been fantastic for us. It's been really, really cool. Okay. All right. Yeah, no, that answers that question. And, and mate, the covers, the ones that you've chosen on this new album here. So I'm a big fan of both of the bands that you've chosen, by the way. Ice House and Johnny, well, you know, one band and one solo artist. Ice House and Johnny Farnham. And, and I think I've, I swear I've seen you on a social media post somewhere through the years wearing an Ice House T-shirt. So I think that's really cool too <laughs> that you represent. Am I right in saying that? Is you that are 100% right. I'm sure that I, I can I can imagine there'd be several, okay. several photos floating around the internet of me wearing, uh, wearing both John Farnham and Ice House T-shirts. That's right. Yeah, I think. Um, look, both. There you uh, go. Okay. Yeah, and, and look, both. Um, both artists, both you know, uh, are incredible influences for us. I mean, we we don't hold back on what we were brought up with. Um, you know, either as kids or adolescents, and um, you know, we we love pop music. We love rock music. We and there were so many great Australian uh, artists that were. Um, kicking around in the 70s, 80s, and even into the 90s. I mean, you know, some of my top Australian bands, you know, include like Southern Sons, John Farnham, Noiseworks, Ice House. Yeah. Um, all these great bands. Yeah. Even some of the solo uh, solo guys as well, like Daryl Braithwaite. Um, you know, yep. I, I love. There's so many amazing cuts there, and and obviously Barnsley's solo stuff in the 80s is just top notch. And and so I think for us, we've always been we've. You know, for good or for bad, we've been known for our covers. We've done a lot of covers over the years, and um, we just love we love celebrating great music. And if any mm-hmm. excuse to play some of the best songs that have ever been written, we're we're there. So, um, "Touch the Fire" was a song that um, I don't think it's we were we'd been talking about it for a while, but it was one that once it sort of hit the radar as far as potential songs to cover, we I don't think there was any negotiation around that. I think we went, yeah, we're doing it. Um, and Break the Ice uh, by John Farnham yep. was a song that we had been talking about for years. It was just like, oh, I'd love to cover that one day. Yeah, that would be a great song. Oh, yeah, if only, I mean, no one's ever covered that song. We should do it. We should do it. And then eventually it was like, all right, we've got to pull our fingers out. Let's actually do it this time. So, um, 
and they both came out really good. Um, I was really, really happy with it. And um, I haven't had any feedback from the Farnham camp just yet. I'm, I'm a bit of a punisher with the old Farnham camp. I, I'm always uh, annoying <laughs> Glenn Wheatley and um, saying, yep. hey, uh, you know, is John available for, a, for an interview? And we know, and Chat, everyone knows yeah. that uh, John is not uh, not the interviewing type. He does very, uh, very few interviews, but I always uh, throw my, my hat in the ring. Um, but I did get some... Uh, some secondhand feedback um, via Steve Bull, who's the um, bass player for Ice House, and he passed it on to Ivor Davies, um, the Ice House cover, yeah. and uh, we got the seal of approval and said that it was it was fantastic. So um, I think if that alone, um, I'm happy to hang the hat up and, and call it a day. Um, if Ivor Davies uh, approves of something that we've done, I'm I'm more than happy to 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 not continue with anything else uh, moving forward. That was uh, a pretty surreal moment. Well, there's there's actually a lane for you guys that's open for you guys because you're a very capable band, obviously. But performing, you know, like that band, that punk band that was on Fat Records, Me First and the Gimme Gimmies, I think it was them that used to do those covers. Mm. You guys could release an album where you've just covered wonderful Australian content from the era because I've spoken to Jack Jones, a.k.a. Erwin Thomas Mm. from Southern Suns. He's a champion of a guy. But here's my suggestion, okay? You guys do the music, and as and I think Tim, I rate Tim even better than Bruce Dickinson at this point. Believe me, I do. I truly do. I'm not just saying that, you know. But if you got these guys in, like Jack Jones, to sing the song that they originally sung with you guys on the backing band, but heavy metal, no bullshit, straight to the point, I reckon you guys would have a heck of an album there. What do you think? Oh. Uh- You've twisted my arm. Like, I, it would be, it would be absolutely incredible. And I think for us, I mean, we're all fanboys. Like, we, we, we giggle like, like schoolgirls when we, we hear about, yeah. or we get any form of interaction from these people that we've idolised as, you know, growing up, getting into music and just really appreciating amazing music. And we're so fortunate in Australia that we had such amazing eras of music through the seventies and eighties, in particular, and, and into the early nineties. To be able to have that opportunity to to work with people like that would be absolutely incredible. I mean, we've we we sort of joked about oh you know years and years ago about break the ice. And we thought oh if only we could get Fonzie in. If we could just like like how much money do you think he would charge? And do you reckon we could collectively just pull like oh hell let's remortgage one of our houses. Let's just do it like whatever <laughs> whatever it takes. Um, and I mean we I don't think we would be opposed to it. I, I don't think I'd need to convince Tim too much about an idea like that. And I think we've I think uh, sort of slightly on topic with the covers, um, I think we've done so many covers over the years that we'll eventually release something that's a collection of um, all the covers that we've released Um, because they're all all in different versions and some are on Japanese versions only and some in Europe and all sorts. And so we're going to try and get them all together in one release but include another five or six songs. And I I think I know what they are for the most part. And we've tracked drums for about three or four mm-hmm. of them um and it's all australian rock so it's all it's awesome. all Killer. extra stuff that um you know we've we've grown up with so um because we haven't finished it um you know what uh thanks for planting the seeds i'll i'll take that away and and, <laughs> and if it happens then you can say ah um you can find out where that all came from yeah listen to this episode there you go. <laughs> <laughs> just put me in the liner notes no, just yeah just absolutely oh, i can do, can do. <laughs> you know but i'll tell you something brother you know i can't stand the cultural cringe associated with our recent music past because johnny jimmy ice house Southern Suns, they're just a few of the bands. I, I'm, I'm a covers musician, so I play bass and guitar, but primarily bass like yourself, okay? Mm. so, And I've played uh, so many cold chisel tracks of people like um, Flame Trees, 
Saturday night, holy shit. People stop what they're doing and stare at you when you play Saturday night. Because it's, it's so meaningful, these songs. They actually, they've affected people's lives, particularly the, the over 50s set, you know, people who grew up through the 80s. And uh, some of the people who grew up through the 90s, 70s, 80s and 90s. This stuff is very meaningful to people, you know. Like I, I had a chat to the wonderful, the great and powerful Fiona Horn. Nice. Um, from Def FX recently, you know, and it gave me tingles, I've got to tell you, because mm. I used to go and watch those guys and they were so good, yeah. you know, and. There's, and that music, to my ears, and I explained this to Fiona, there are fans, no doubt like yourself, as I am, this music didn't go away. It's still there. You know, I still listen to the Mavises. Do you know what I'm saying? Like, <laughs> nice. it hasn't, it's still there. You know, I put it on, it might be on a playlist, but it's still there. You know, and, and this whole idea that it's retro or it left people's lives isn't quite true. You know, so I think there's a wonderful opportunity there to connect with people who maybe, you know, they're, they're not, they're music fans, but maybe they've got busy lives or what have you, and you're connecting with them by bringing your music through the music that they know. Well, I think – So that's yeah, – Yeah. And I, I agree. I mean, absolutely. Uh, I think one thing that um, – I don't think we do in particular, but one thing that I've certainly appreciated and I've always fantasized about as, you know, ever-releasing sort of uh, music that's outside of Lord is one of those things that made those songs so iconic and – has the longevity that still sits in people's minds is that obviously the songwriting, the crafting of that of those songs is just amazing, absolutely stellar. Like some of the we've we've got some of the greatest songwriters in the world that have come out of this country. Uh, but I think part of the reason why you know even just putting the music aside is that they sung about things that were relatable. It was you know Jimmy put it into a song title. It's working class man. It's it's working class topics there mm-hmm. when you listen to it a lot of the stuff is very literal um without it being too cheesy or cheap or anything like that but when you listen to it people people attach themselves to it and then they start to relate to their own lives and what they what's going on in their lives you know uh, you know adversity and troubled times you know lost love or whatever it is or succeeding or you know fighting you know being the underdog which is a great you know australian sort of thing that we've embraced over the years and and I think when people listen to these these songs, I mean, it throws them back into a time where they were first relating to these things. So it's it's a nostalgic trip for the song itself, but then everything else that's been, that was attached to it at that time in their life. And so I listen to these songs even now, like I I, I do not let up on on this old you know, and I, even using the word old sounds sounds like I'm dating completely dating it. But I listen to this music hmm. and. And I just I listen to it. And I go, this is amazing because it's so, a lot of the stuff is so simplistic. They're, they're very straightforward, mm. and some of the stuff's very clever the way that they've written it. But I listen to it. I go, oh man, like I I know I, I can I, I understand I understand the formula what they're doing and why why it connects so well and why don't why I mean there are amazing bands that are doing this stuff now, but maybe only time will tell whether it sort of stands the test of time. But um, the songwriting is just it's just absolutely amazing and it just connects with people in such an amazing mm. way and you know I, I live across the road and it's probably it's not the best thing in the world but I live across the road from an RSL and I, I listen to those cover bands <laughs> and um, I'm in those cover yeah, bands so yeah. there you go <laughs> and, the, and look the cover bands sound great you know but uh, I, sometimes the audiences are a little bit feral but you know uh, but you Agreed. hear yeah. but it's the same it's it's those songs and you hear you can hear the crowd getting into those particular songs when they pop up into the set list and and it's it's incredible to hear, and you just go, ah, oh, they've still got it. Like those songs are still there, and and it's just, uh, you know, what a what a trip to be able to be one of those people that was there at the time to write that song, and just not really know what's going to happen, what where it's going to go, and what what's going to happen to them, and you know, thirty forty years later to be able to sit there and just 
have it as a mainstay on radio or, you know, cover bands, tribute bands, just consistently playing yeah. these songs to people and enjoying it. So, yeah, I'm, I'm really passionate about uh, that music and, um, you know, we've never, we've never shied away from it. We've, uh, uh, we've always celebrated and, and been very public about our love of just, well, just music in general. A great song's a great song, you know. It doesn't matter whether it's mm. metal or not. Um, you know, metal's our, our forte, but um, we're not afraid to embrace um any form of music. We're big pop fans. We love rock. We love commercial radio. Um, you know, some of the stuff these days is not as good as the old stuff, and that makes me sound like an old grandpa whinging. But it's it's true though. Oh yeah, and but it's but in the end, it, a good song's a good song, and and it's as simple yep. as that. Indeed, God, I could wax lyrical about music these days compared to back in the day, and I'm not talking <laughs> about rock and heavy metal here, but stuff that's in the charts is just used, you know. Oh, we all know this, and this mm. is not new news, okay, but the auto-tune thing and just the use same. I think there are some bands that even use the same drum loop, the same yep. samples, because Absolutely. you hear it. Yep. You hear it. You, you heard Rihanna's um, umbrella drum beat in um, the Kid Cudi song, the one where they sampled Starman, and you're yeah. thinking, what, you couldn't find another drum beat? Yeah, yeah. Like, that is, it's a good drum beat, but it's pretty bloody simplistic. You couldn't mix it up just a little bit. You know what I mean? When you're in Pro Tools there, just pull it out by a measure or two. You know, <laughs> but it doesn't happen, and I, I don't understand that, but, you know, there must be a formula. Well, they haven't I think, told us, though. Well, I think a big thing with a lot of that stuff is, and this is what probably makes it very different to those those great bands from from over the past several decades is that these days these entities these these artists you know rihanna and and beyonce and all these, these massive massive artists in the I charts think, I, think, I think you were right in saying entities because they're brands well, aren't they a hundred percent they're they're corporations you know and and so your your drum loop in there is probably a contract with a particular provider who has sampled or provides that sample. And so part of that yeah. agreement with that yeah. label would be that uh, you need to include it in four or five different songs across X amount of artists or something like that. And so you you walk into the studio with already a number of contractual agreements as far as the elements of that song, you know, what types of, types of samples are used through what affiliation or, you know, what... Um, what particular artists are jumping onto that album to to produce it or to to record on it, etc. So, you know, it's it's a big melting pot of of agreements and contracts and and money and, and there's a lot of money to be made. So part of it, I sort of look at it and go, well, it's very smart. You know, it's very very complicated and and impressive. You know, I love I love how people are uh, are able to find ways of making money in very creative ways. But at the same time, you go, oh. You know, it sort of takes away the whole point of what music's all about, really. But um, mm. you know, but at the same, and then looking at it from another angle, I think it's also low-hanging fruit for artists. I think for musicians out there that are writing from the heart, uh, creating original music. I think with the internet, and yes, there's a lot of noise out there. It's hard to cut through. I think people are hungry for that genuine approach. I think people are looking for that organic and not just in sound, but I think people are just looking for that real genuine organic uh, passion behind songwriting and a song. And I think people are searching for it. And I think with all the, the plastic that's out there uh, to, to coin a term uh, to associate with it, um, I think people that are writing from the heart and really putting their, their soul into it, I think will have the longevity. As long as they stick to it, I think it will stand the test of time. So the rest of yeah. it will just, will just end up in the bin. Yeah, it's finding a way to stick to it, though, isn't it? And you guys have figured it out in your own way. But look, like a lot of musicians, I started off playing for you know four or five years in rehearsal rooms with about one gig a year, mm -hmm. as is the common experience. But you need to go through that period, A, because you've got to solidify your chops and become a better player playing with an acoustic drummer. But 
you've also got to figure out who you don't want to be in a band with too <laughs> because it's you know what I'm talking about. It's yeah. bloody – I mean, I won't even go into the reasons here and now, the reasons I've had to kick people out of bands, but believe me, name it, it's probably happened, okay? <laughs> <laughs> and, and, of course, you're the bad guy. You're the bad guy. But, but you know, what What do you do? You've got to keep for, forging forward because, to your exact point, this is the music that you put on the earth to do. This is the music that's in your heart. So you just do it anyway. And I think that's the theory these days that if you just do it anyway – because you're going to do it and you've got your day job and your marriage or whatever is going on with your personal life. And like me, I've got kids and a dog and a cat and a house and all the rest of it. But you've still got to do this. You can't not do this. So you, you still open yourself up to success if you keep going and if it's in your heart, isn't it? And that's what I think you guys have done really well. And the fact that Tim's been at it since 1989 and Broken Hill, which, God, I've played in enough country towns to know. They're not easy places to play. <laughs> no, I think Blues Brothers with the chicken wire. <laughs> yeah. I've, listen, I've played heaps of gigs in Chinchilla, you know, yeah. Bundy. <laughs> you know where I'm headed? Yeah, it's not easy. I've had people scream at me, you know, to stop playing slap bass because that's, you know, not what they want to hear. They want to hear copyright or what have you. And you just, you've just got to adjust. So you've got to pivot. What I call pivot. I call it pivoting. So I just turn to the guys and go, right, we're pivoting. And that's when you just go into a different, you know, you've got your set list written out. But sometimes you've just got to go in a completely different direction because you're losing people. And and that's the thing. As long as you're doing what you want to do, and in my case, and I'm sure it is for you, mate, I, I've, I've actually, I've got to be honest, man, I've never played heavy metal before as a musician. Mm. <laughs> I've only ever played indie and covers. That's all I've ever done. And um, when you play covers, you've got to be really quick on your feet. I've got to tell you, you know, a set list don't – you can write out a set list and you just hope you can stick to it, but you just can't You just can't rely on it is what I'm saying. So you've got to sort of drill back to the basics, which is what am I here to do? Is it to play this type of music? No. It's to play. It's to entertain. And And for me as a musician at this point in time, long way to make the point – but for me as a musician at this point in time, I just want to see people dancing and having fun and drinking beer and getting away from the stresses of their day-to-day. And that's that's wrapped up in me just wanting to perform for them. It's it's a big thing behind what Lord is. Um, and and even, even Dungeon had a same sort of code of ethics you know, with with the approach of, of the, the big why, the, the why behind why we're doing it. You know, yes, we love metal, we love playing metal, but ultimately what what are we getting on stage for you know what's the point you know and you know part of it like like anyone in the band you you've got the the very sort of um cheap reasons you know the very sort of uh sort of surface reasons of ego and you know attention and and all that all the things that stereotypically come with you know being in a band but mm-hmm. i think there's there's a real connection that you have with people when you're on stage playing and we've always told ourselves repeatedly over the years especially when we sort of we lose track and, and get a little bit burnt out along the way. It's just that we we always take the music seriously. Like we'll we'll never half ass what we do musically. We'll mm-hmm. always put put one hundred hundred and ten percent into what whatever we do. But ourselves, we don't take ourselves seriously. And when we get on stage, yeah. we have a great Good time. Strategy. We take the piss out of each other. Um, we have a lot of lot of fun, and we're not afraid to make fools of ourselves. And we do it online as well. We take cheap shots at, at each other. We 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 throw memes on each other's pages on Facebook and all sorts of stuff. And we just <laughs> like we we're idiots. We are literal idiots. But we that's our balance. That's our counterbalance. And we whenever somebody gets high and mighty outside of the band, when we meet people on the way, because you know there's that romantic feeling about being a musician. It's, it's sort of like. I'm an artist, you know. I I, I write, you know, I, I write from the heart, and, and this is I'm an artist. Cool. Yeah. I'm cool, and 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 it's almost like this. I'm 
not so much I'm better than you, but I'm, I'm, I'm very special here. I'm a very special person. I'm a creative, you know. And for us, we've always thought, you know, that's nice. Um, but ultimately, you're an entertainer. You're a performer. And I think people need to embrace those terms again and not cheapen them. I think you get on stage and, and exactly what you said before, you want to look so out and see people having a great time. You want people chugging beers or just dancing or headbanging or whatever it is. And oh. just having, I mean, people, people go through enough shit on their day, in their day-to-day life. You know, they, exactly. we've all yeah. got tough things we've got to do, whether it be jobs, relationships, uh, you know, all sorts of illness and all sorts of adversities that we go through. And it's, it's life can be really tough, you know, and, and, I think if people are willing to get off the couch and actually pay to come and see you play, then you should be doing whatever you can to bring them into another world and, and let them escape for, for an hour or several hours if you're doing cover sets, um, you know, and just let them let them enjoy themselves and be in the moment and just forget about everything else because they've got to go back to it at the end of the night or the next morning mm-hmm. or whatever it is. So I think, I think there's something that really it's often forgotten and I think, you know, for us we – We've always made a big point. We get on stage, we have a great time, and we want we want to put out as much as we can so people feel it. And um, you know, I th- we've we've well, I'm sure you've had the same sort of experiences. Sometimes you just don't feel it. Like you're about to get on stage, and you're like, oh man, there's like 20 places I'd rather be than about to walk on this stage. Like, I've, oh, that happens yeah. a lot, brother. That yeah. that's very true. Like I've you know I play up at Coolum or what have you, and you're playing to bar staff and about three people who wish you weren't. <laughs> Yeah. And you've still got to plug it. That's when I'm doing the acoustic guitar gigs. You've still got to plug it in. You're like going, I don't want to do it either, but they're paying me to do it, so I've got no choice. I'm sorry. I've just got to bust out the bloody three doors down and all the rest of it. I'm sorry, but I'll try and turn myself down just up enough so I don't get yelled at at the venue because I'm <laughs> trying to just fake the night. But at the same time, if you're – but these venues, they set up chairs and tables in front of the stages it too. It, it ruins, it oh, ruins the, the experience and it stops people from completely embracing themselves in, in what's going on. But I think the big thing is like we get those feelings as well. Sometimes we'll rock up to a show and nothing goes to plan, nothing's there that we need or, you know, the, the ticket sales are a bit crap or whatever it is or, you know, the weather's horrible. And we just look at each other going, yeah, that's when you start to look at each other and go, oh, man, like why are we doing this again? I'm sure, like, we've got wives or partners, you know, kids at home or whatever it is. You know, I'm sure there's – I'm sure we'd rather be there, you know, maybe. And But we get on stage and you sort of lose yourself in, in the moment once you get up and you get the momentum sure. going. But yeah. also, you know, those two or three people that rock up to the show or whatever it is, the handful of people, you just – part of it is you never know who they are. And, and there's selfish reasons for that as far as it could be an opportunity for us. But at the same time – you don't know what that one or two people that have come in and have sat down with a beer and they're just watching or they're standing there watching, you know, you play, they could be complete fans of what you do, or they're just looking for a way to just to get the hell out of their normal life and just watch and, and, and Mm. soak up whatever, whatever's coming out of, out of those speakers. And I, I remind myself of all those things over over and over again, because then I, I sort of, it's almost like you recalibrate and you go, ah, that's, that's why I'm doing this, you know, it's, and it's not to make myself feel like I'm super important, but you know, I'm up, um, it's, I've, I've now got a task here. I've got a job and it's to entertain you in front of me and make you feel good as best as I can. Like I'm, you know, I'll do whatever I can with what I've got in front of me and, and try to make you have a good time. And, and, uh, and I think that's, I think that's what's kept us going for so many years. I mean, it's just, it's, it's kept things happy and fulfilling and i think that's been a really really important part of of what we do 
So playing in front of people and bringing it to as broad a possible an audience as you can. I think I've made a comment on Twitter or Facebook that, you know, this is music, what you guys are doing, man. Europe would be all over this. So surely to goodness, please tell me some enterprising promoter from the land of Europa has reached out to you guys for something resembling a tour with someone. And here's a band that I really want you to look up if you do. I mean, you will, you're, a, you're a fan and you, you're in the industry, but Act of Defiance, you know, Chris Broderick's oh, yeah. band, yeah. you would be, you, man, that'd be a killer doubleheader bill right there. Well, that's, um, I believe that's got, is that got Sean Drover on drums, ex-Megadeth? And... It does, absolutely. And, and Chris Broderick was in Megadeth too, right. and, and Jag Panzer. Was he in, Was he the guitarist from Jag, he Jag was, Panzer? absolutely. Yeah, yeah. yeah. I, remember, I remember Broderick era, uh, Century Media era of Jag Panzer. That was, yeah, exactly. Uh, that was Likewise. Big, <laughs> that was a big, uh, big defining moment in my life between Jag Panzer and Ice Earth as a teenager. That were just incredible, oh, incredible times for me. But um, yeah. that, that would be a fantastic band. I mean, I, I think... Um, to answer your question, no, we haven't had any offers just yet uh, for Europe, and and Europe's been one of those tough ones for us. Um, I don't know why, mate, because because it's there. You guys are the complete packages. So I mean, correct me if I'm wrong, okay? <laughs> but you guys appear from the outside looking in in terms of on our album, the videos that I've seen. You've done some of those shows, those metal shows in the states or the South America or wherever it was. Anyway, you can play in front of big audiences. I've seen the videos. Is my point mm. on that one there? So I wonder why. Is it just that they don't have a lens on Australia? Well, I think I think one part of it is the label representation. And I think that's changing quite a bit over the last several years. Um, you know, for years we'd be trying to get our foot in the door in Europe and, you know, back sort of in dungeon years, uh, you know, there was a record label signed in Europe. And so that gave a little bit of a, you know, a, a, a toe toenail in the door. Um, but what we were finding is that booking agents didn't want to bar of you because you didn't have representation in Europe, which meant that you didn't yeah, have a product to sell, which meant that you couldn't, you, you didn't bring any value to the package as far as bringing people in to the show. And ultimately, you, we started to progress towards, uh, well, in the direction of pay-to-play packages where bands oh, God, basically would yeah. drop, you know, they they would literally no, mortgage their houses yeah. to get on these. these That's tours. horrendous, mate. That, that, I fucking, excuse my language, I hate that model. Yeah. I mean, that model is when these... And it's not with you guys. You guys have got your head screwed on. You know, you're all over 30, you know, this sort of thing. But it's the parents of the kids that buy into this stuff as giving their – remember when Sharon Osbourne was doing that on Ozfest? Yeah, absolutely. That's – sorry, that was a disgrace, yeah. you know. And and to me, you're taking advantage of people that are, are mortgaging their properties and are, and but love their kids. Yep. Love their kids. And it's not the kids that are paying for it. And when I say kids, the under 25s that are paying for it, it's, it's their parents that are doing it and well-meaning benefactors. But, you know, it's a once-off, it's a spike, and then all of a sudden you can say, great, I've got all these videos, but what, and then what? What You don't have, a, you don't have what, what, you're, what, what you're alluding to. What, no, you haven't alluded to. You've been very direct with it, which is it's not a part of who they are because they're not old enough yet to know who they are. Yeah. So, you know, that's the issue with these pay-to-play packages. You know, you guys are smart to take them up. Uh, you know, the ones that are really not in your favour. I no. mean, there might be some out there that are in their favour, but it, but it backs onto that point too, those bloody awful 360-degree management degree deals. Mm -hmm. you know, no, you're in the industry, mate. You know all about this stuff. But that's that's another disgrace. You know, that's just like the old reach of the record industry going to young men and young women, right, I'm going to take everything that you earn because I can give you this platform. No, you can't. It's their talent that does it. Absolutely. And, I mean... You know, that would be my point. Definitely. And, look, with the pay-to-play stuff, I think there's... there's, there's at least from, I mean, I haven't had a lot of experience, and yes, like we haven't, we haven't jumped on any of these, uh, these things that uh, that are that are created. And 
from what I can see, there's two main sort of categories that these pay-to-play sort of uh, situations fall into. And one of them is, and I sort of lean a little bit more in favour of, is where you, you're paying basically to contribute to the touring cost, which means that you're paying to, to be on the tour bus as far as being able to contribute to the travel costs, um, backline, things like that. And I think from that point of view, you're basically paying for somebody else to manage your your logistics while you're on tour. And I think that's a real positive. I think there's there's some great things there. And as long as as long as you're not getting uh, you know, um put anything up your rear end, um, you know, financially, I think it's it's quite a reasonable model to suggest and there's some very smart booking agents out there that are able to combine different parties together, share the costs and and then put together some form of um revenue that comes out of each show so that everybody's compensated. Mm-hmm. And with the way that the industry has changed over the years, I think everybody's sort of scrambling to try and work out what does work and what doesn't. But the ones that, and I think this is where you're sort of, you were referring to is the ones where it's purely, you're paying for the privilege. And so exactly, I've yeah. got a couple yeah. of examples and I won't name the bands uh, because they're, they're two still very active bands. But years and years ago, mm-hmm. we got offered uh, a 20 day European tour and I'd say probably 10 Oh, probably no, ten or twelve years ago, and really great opportunity, great band, and um, going to be as a a great sort of spread across a number of different countries. Um, and we looked at it and thought, this is if this is a tour like that, we would consider this is going to be the one. Um, they wanted, and I don't know what I, I don't have a lot of comparisons to sort of you know work out whether this is actually generous or whatever, but they wanted a thousand euro per show, and this was before expenses. And like, you know, paying for the buses, paying for back lines and all that sort yeah, of stuff. Yeah, paying your own way there and everything. Yeah. And we looked at it and we, I wouldn't say that we were green, but we were just so excited about the possibilities of what we could do with this opportunity. You know, you're pay, playing in front of, you know, about a thousand people a night and in big markets that would appeal to our music. And we just thought about, you know, what we could do with the momentum that we create from this. And so we started seriously looking, going, can we afford 20,000 euro before flights, before logistics of travel around Europe, before all this stuff. And we just, we looked at each other and went, no way. Like there's no, there's no way we can do it. So we politely declined and just left, left it go. And about two or three years later, we were in another part of the world touring and we were with a different band and we were just having a conversation with them. And we found out through conversation that they actually did that tour. And we said, oh, oh, fantastic. Oh yeah. How's the tour? They said, oh, it was great. I said, I just, I said, you don't have to answer, but just out of curiosity, I mean, what did you guys pay to get on onto it? And they go, and they just looked at me and went, pay? We didn't pay anything. And I went, oh, right. Now, this band wasn't from Australia. They were from another part of the world, a little bit closer to, you know, they were mm-hmm. in Europe. And it sort of started to paint a picture that, well, they're from the arse end of the world. They're so far away. They're desperate. If we just throw a number out there, yeah. maybe they'll say yes. And there's no measure, there's no sort of metric against it to say, well, you know, this is this is the price point, this is what it's going to cost because it equates to this. It's more of a case of let's pull a figure out of the air and see if these dummies are going to pay for it. And I'm just so glad that we didn't do it. Otherwise, I don't think we would have recovered from that. I think we would have done great in the short term and then in the long yeah. term we would have been burnt out. The second... Um, and that was my point. That was yeah, exactly my point, absolutely. sorry, about what I said earlier. It's just a spike, but then where do you go to after that? But sorry, continue. Oh, and I was just going to say the, the other example was uh, about two or three years ago we we got offered basically the tour of a lifetime uh through north america like just an absolute 
amazing opportunity to to basically go from. Can you uh, say who it was? Because no, this would be a really good story. It, it, it would, I know, but it's like it. I they're very active. They're very very active, and um, and they they wanted a ridiculous sum of money as a privilege payment basically to to be considered it was like a bidding war and in order for them to in order to get onto the tour and then then you would pay per show and then you'd pay your expenses after that and by this stage I mean because it was only a few years ago we we basically laughed at it um yeah we were polite to them but we just laughed and went that is just so rude and just irresponsible and just it was just it was so inappropriate to be able to think that yes you might have a legacy you might be a fantastic band you might have the notoriety and the popularity behind you but to to just throw a figure out and give people the privilege um look we're all trying to make money we're all businesses i mean you know as much as people hate it a band's a business you're making money but to do it like that i just don't i think there's there's some ethics there that uh you know it's just they're in the wrong spot and so we we declined that and it was it was bittersweet because we knew that we we stuck by what we believed in and we knew we did the right thing but we just looked at and went man that sucks you know like we would you know we 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 would do so well, you know, we would, we would actually add value to a tool mm-hmm. like that. You know, we'd, you know, we would, there would be so many opportunities there to capitalize on that, um, add value to the package, add value to, to them, the, that headliner, um, but also for us personally. And, and it's just a shame. So we see a lot of examples like this over the, over the years. And I think, I think it's changing. I think there's a lot more opportunities and people are understanding that now with the internet and connectivity and, you know, digital distribution, I think it's a big thing where it's easy to market a band internationally without having a record label in Europe or a record label in North America. I mean, absolutely. Um, yeah. So these yeah. days, you know, we, we've had a little bit of interest funnily enough from some distribution companies in Europe um, to get fallen idols out there. And we'll, we'll just see, you know, if it, if it makes sense, then, then we'll do it, but we're not, we're not desperate. Um, we've already started to get some nah, traction yeah. with with listeners, and and we'll see what happens. And if the if a tour opportunity pops up and it does make sense on paper, and we understand, like we'll never, you know, you're always going to go over with a loss. Um, it's just the way that it goes, and you know, it's only it takes years and years of touring to to just to break even. Um, you know, a lot of the great Australian bands that are doing amazing things in Europe now and are on on large labels, it, it took them several tours to to start to to balance themselves out. But that's that's the game, you know, it's just it's mm. what you do. But so um yeah, very long winded uh, sort of explanation there. But it's um it's one of those things that you just have to deal with along the way, but it keeps reminding yourself of like you're forced to have to look at yourself and go, why am I actually doing this? Like, what is the most important thing here? And, and you can jump at the short term glittery moment of that opportunity of doing a fantastic tour, but Mm. you know, 10 years down the track, who's going to remember that, you know, and you know, do we do that or do we release an album that's, that can potentially be timeless and people will still discover it in 10 years time. Whereas a tour it's, it can, it can potentially be forgotten. So we've always sort of been very careful about where we choose to put our money and, and, and our time and resources. Mm. And fair point too. I mean, you don't want to burn out and not do it. I mean, we want to have you guys around in 20 years' time, not just another two years' time. You know, but it's an interesting point you raised there about the labels in Europe. I would have thought Napalm would have been all over you guys, you know that, because they're their signing established and legacy acts that have done very well in individual territories and bringing them to Europe. You know what I'm saying? They've 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 done that with um, Alien Weaponry mm. from New Zealand. Yeah. They're with yeah. Napalm. I, I, would, I would have sworn black and blue if you didn't tell me that they'd be a nuclear blast band. Mm. But they're not. 
there are a, a Napalm band and Devil Driver and Des and there's a few very sharp people that have signed up with Napalm recently. So, I mean, you know, you know, you guys know exactly what you're doing. But yeah, it's it's a surprise that with an album as strong as what you've gotten, with a history and a, and a legacy as important to Australian heavy metal as you do have. Because you're really one of our preeminent heavy metal bands in 2019 because of the legacy and most importantly, because you're relevant. Because this album here established you as one of the vital players in the scene. But I just thought that, you know, you, you want to get bands from different parts of the world. And we, us Australians and uh, to an extent too, South Americans, we tend to be overlooked, don't we? You know, and I think Australia, when you talk to people from overseas, you know, the old uh, ACDC and Rose Tattoo thing, <laughs> great bands. I'm not knocking them at all, but that's all you ever hear. Yeah. Okay. I'm noticing that there's a bit of a Jimmy thing starting to come along, but that's really all you ever hear. You know, and uh, South America cops are too, I think, a lot because there are some magnificent bands there and had a really good conversation with Bill Hudson recently. Mm. You know, the guitarist from I Am Morbid. Yep, North, North he's Tale, the, yeah. His band is North Tale. Yep. Yeah, awesome dude, man. Awesome guy. But, you know, he's had to leave Brazil. Mm. And he knew that, yeah. you know, uh, he had to leave Brazil and go to the States and he's been a wonderful success. But, you know, the old uh, and Destroy 666, I think, are based in um, Belgium or the Netherlands or England, yeah, one of the three. Netherlands, there you go. Same yeah. thing, they had to relocate. It was just, you know, the opportunities were in Europe and it was, you know, let's uproot ourselves and, and get onto the other side of the world. And it's a, it's a massive thing to do. And I think... I think for I mean this is these are things that we've discussed quite a bit over the years and we sort of think you know if things mm. were five years earlier or ten years earlier then you know before before the the wives came along or the careers or the children and things like that you know when you start to get, sort of get uh, established you know in in everyday life you start to think oh man it's just you know oh, it, like a few years earlier we could have we could have just thrown it all in in storage and just gone over there for for a year or two and just seen what happens and. Um, yeah, I mean, we've we've yeah. approached. I mean, even going back to Napalm. I mean, we've 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 hit up all these labels over the years, you know, and and maybe at some certain points in time. I mean, we probably haven't hit the at the right time. You know, maybe our timing hasn't been crash hot. Um, with this album, we we didn't really. Um, this is, I think this is the first album where we decided no, nah, no, nah, we're like we'll maybe we're shooting ourselves in the foot, um, but we've really we've taken pride in being DIY we've always been DIY for the most part and um we decided to see how things go with this album and we knew that we could we could put it out there and do a really good job and at least meet what we've done in the past and, mm -hmm. and we thought if we can at least do we can be as successful as what we've released in the past then we're happy um and this album has exceeded everything we've done in the past. It's just ridiculous in just a week. But um, we're, we're sort of looking at it now and going, well, it's giving us leverage and we're getting into conversation through word of mouth. And it's this very organic grassroots approach. Mm -hmm. And, you know, I sent a mailing list out last night to everyone that's ordered from us, you know, over the past several years. And mm -hmm. they're, they're on our mailing list and we sort of keep them up to date and just said, look, you know, we got into the ARIA charts yesterday, like, ridiculous you know we were number 20 on the australian um artists album chart. i was going to mention that was going to be my final point well yeah. congratulations oh. on that and for everybody listening that thinks that's not a serious accomplishment it is you know i mean because you're up against the megan trainers and and the taylor swifts and all this sort of stuff and mate number 20 it's top 20 mate congrats i mean did you ever think when you were a kid growing up 
you know, Redcliffe, did, that that would happen? <laughs> Redcliffe, yeah. Well, absolutely not. I mean, I remember... You know what I mean? I, I remember standing in front of the, the mirror in the, the back of my door in my bedroom pretending to be James Hetfield and, and my mum walking in and just looking at me going, oh, my God, and just like, just close the door, you know. <laughs> yeah, and, I had that happen. Yeah. <laughs> so, it, no. I mean, like, even, even a week ago, we... We we known we put a lot of effort into the album. We pushed pre-orders. We we really got everyone behind us. And you know, I was direct messaging every single person I could possibly find from years gone by, just to say, hey, you know, just a heads up, you know, if you're interested, blah blah blah. If you need any help, I'll hook you up or do, well, whatever. Just trying to cut deals and just trying to get right. over the line. And and it was this real sort of organic upswell of people that's just getting behind it and getting excited, going, wow, yeah, okay, let's do it. And and so. We it was just like yes, we had no idea. Like we just, you know, Tim got sent a link, the Aria link, and and I had to sort of do a double take and went, what do you mean? Like, uh, how does this work? I don't understand. And I, you know, go a couple couple of ones up, and the Wiggles are on there. Then there's uh, Jimmy Barnes and Hilltop Hoods and In Excess and yeah. Thy Arts. Uh, Thy Arts is like just incredible at the moment. They're they're just smashing it. Oh, their new album's oh, fantastic, massive. Yeah, yeah. they're doing yeah. so well. But you know, just to see these these you know amazing bands and iconic artists on this list and i just think oh well we're on there too and you know next week we might not be on there anymore but who cares like it was just amazing and so i sent this email out last night to everybody and just said you guys made this happen like yeah okay we've 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 created the music but no one would hear it unless it was you guys actually buying the album it's very cliched and cheesy but i i really stressed the point and and then i i sort of put the call to action out to everybody and said look you know we, we we always need your help and get out there and, and support it and and so we we always do little incentive deals for our inner circle and we we do little referral uh deals so if you refer somebody through to buy the album and they mention your name then we'll hook you up with free merch free cds free t-shirts all sorts of stuff because you know it's, it's just it's just a way to get it's just to get in front of people's ears and we always say like the goal is for people to actually hear a song or the album whether they like it or not we we can't control that but if people have got the opportunity to actually hear it, then that's all we care about because then they can make up their own mind. Mm-hmm. Uh, and that's always been the, the difficult thing with any artist is just to be heard, you know. And and uh, yesterday was mm-hmm. just um, I, I haven't I haven't actually digested it because it's just um, I think it's one of those things where maybe in a few days' time or maybe a few weeks down the track I'll sit back and go, oh wow, like the, okay, that's that's yeah, wow, okay. Yeah, straight to the pool room, you know? It was like a really, really cool moment. So, <laughs> and, and for an independent, yeah, cool. completely independent. Like, we've done it all ourselves. Um, no mainstream radio. Um, it's all been, you know, if we've been played anywhere, it's been sort of community radio, digital radio sort of stuff. Um, you know, none of, the, none of the big guys have picked mm-hmm. us up yet at all. Um, and not a lot of mainstream press, not a lot of mainstream reviews or anything yet. It's just been very organic, DIY, grassroots, and we're super proud of everybody that's just helped us and, and of each other. I saw Mark uh, last night, actually, just quickly stopped by his place and just shook his hand and just said, congrats, man. I'm like, you're an art- ARIA artist now. <laughs> you know, that's, that's pretty cool. I mean, <laughs> we'll you know. 20 ARIA. Yeah, at least, at least for a week we are, and, you know, that's, that's pretty cool, you know. So very, very cool. <laughs> Mate, that's about it from me. But before I let you go, tell me, uh, tell the listener how they can get in touch with you because you have a wonderful social media presence. It must be said, you've got two podcasts. You're a very approachable guy over social media. You answer your tweets. I really appreciate that, by the way, because God Almighty, the amount of bands that don't attend to their tweets, and I'm not talking about just spam comments on the album or what have you. You guys are all over that. You've got a wonderful Facebook presence. So I've mentioned Twitter there. You're on that. 
you're on Facebook, but how else can people get in touch with you and listen to your wonderful music? Uh, probably the the easiest way, because yes, you're you're right. We um, probably are addicted to social media. <laughs> We're on it all the time, and and I think that's been a real strength <laughs> strength to us in the sense that good on you, mate. Yeah, and look, we've we've got to interact with people. I mean, that's that's a big part of our success is just connecting and and bringing people into into our our realm. You know, there. I try my best to try not to use the word fans. I, I, I use the word friends. I try to just bring it like they're an extension of the band. It's not just the four of us or the three of us or whatever it it's is. It's interesting, Andy, actually. Fiona, Fiona Horn said the same thing. She goes, they're not fans. They're friends. They're just people, you know. And, and I think for artists that are very down to earth and connected to their fan base, that is so true. Yeah. You know, you could, you just got people who you share a common interest and that common interest is your band. Yep. Yeah, absolutely, absolutely. That's and it's, it. a, it's a big, it's a big thing for us. I mean, you know, we'll get on stage and we'll act like like idiots and and you know put on this massive show and look like we're we're this in these incredible people, but we're we're just a bunch of blokes that just like the same things that everybody else does. And if we weren't on stage, we'd be the ones in the crowd drinking drinking beers and and being idiots uh, in the crowd as well. So it's just like it's just it's a great way of just telling people and showing people that they are part of what we do and they have a direct input as far as what happens to this band and where we go and and even the music that we create it's you know they don't they don't dictate where we go but it inspires us to keep going and to keep finding ways to to f- keep things fresh and exciting as well so um the easiest places is uh, for me, because I've got a million different things on the go, um, my two podcasts, Andy Social and uh, Self Starter, but um, they can go to andydowling.net. I've got a wanky domain uh, for my name. Um, and that's got um, <laughs> that's got the band, it's got all the podcasts and a bunch of other stuff on there. So it's a way to sort of hit one link and find all the links, all the social media pages are there. And uh, for the band, same deal. Uh, if you just go to lord.net.au, um, it's got all the new album information on the front page. It's got all the links to... YouTube, Twitter, Vimeo, um, Facebook, Instagram, uh, whatever else we've managed to sign up to, our, our online store at Bandcamp, um, everything's everything's all linked in there. So we try to make it as easy as possible. But um, we're on our phones every day, you know, responding, retweeting, you know. Well, and you should be committed for it, I must say. I'm a, I'm a uni student these days and I'm taking a journalist journalism student with a social media major and uh, you guys are textbook on what to do as opposed to what not to do. You're very responsive. You're very engaging. You do appreciate the support you get, mate. And as far as I'm concerned, more power to you and more success to you all. I'm sure you have the same sort of thing with podcasting where you're, you find very creative ways to get it over the line. You know, you're, um, I'm not sure what your setup looks like at home, but I, I use a, I've got a, like a road reporter mic with a zoom H five and I've got it connected up to my phone with Skype on. A and, reporter mic. There you go. Yep. And, I know the ones I've got, I do have one of them. Yeah. yeah. Sorry. You continue. Yeah. No. Yeah. So it's, um, but for me, like, I'll, I don't have the big sort of, uh, desk set up with the mic stands and everything like that. It's like this little portable thing that, it's just got me over the line. And so I find all these really weird places to try and record things, to try and find nice quiet spots. And at the moment I've, I've locked myself in the office, but I've, we've got, a, <laughs> got uh, as I mentioned earlier, I've got a cockatiel and, and he likes to have a sing every once in a while. So every once in a while in some of the episodes, you'll hear this really faint little chirp or this sing in the background. And it's like, oh, that's Larry. So, um, but uh, I've, yep. I've done them in cars. I've done them in national parks, trying to like recording intros and things like that. Likewise. Or, yep. oh, just anywhere I can just <laughs> escape. And it's just, it's it's amazing what you can do with a little bit of a uh, bit of creative uh, juice, but um, it's 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 a real challenge at times. 
Yeah, I've, I've had the same challenge, mate. Believe me, I've done them in all of the places that you mentioned. I've done heaps at uni. Um, I've done them in cars where I thought I've picked a quiet spot and then those council guys turn up around you and start whippersnippering and mowing around you. <laughs> yeah. When I was talking to Rex from oh, – mate, the most difficult interview I ever had was with Rex from Pantera. Yeah. And the reason it was difficult was that I actually got out easy, believe me. I listened to the Metal Injection guys or Metal Sucks guys or what have you in their podcast. He wasn't answering their questions, and he was doing something similar to me. But to compound that, I'd chosen this reservation because my daughter was very – this is about two years ago, two or three years ago. My daughter was only about one or two, and she'd scream the side of the house off. So I thought, I've got to get out and take this interview because – he won't, he, you know, knowing Rex, he won't tolerate it, mm. you know. So, anyway, I was doing this interview, and these guys, and I'm sure they were taking the piss. I had those, I had the right on. I swear to you, I had the right on. I had the handheld mower, you know, the push one, <laughs> the pushing one, and I had the whipper snipper all within ten feet of the car at one time. Oh, I was like, "You guys are messing <laughs> with me." Rex was. Rex, I, I think it was at the same time that I opened the conversation with Rex about to give him a great compliment as you or I would being metal bass players or mm. metal loving bass yeah. players about how much I love his work. And he said, this is going to be some goddamn heavy metal interview. I don't want to do it. And I'm like, oh, God. It wasn't. I just tried to give him a compliment. You know, I'd, I'd, ask, I'd prepared all these lists of questions about the album Smoke on this that he had launched that year. But it was I thought it was going to go south at any moment. I can't say I enjoyed it. I've got to tell you, you know. Well, it was one of those ones I was looking forward to. Oh, didn't enjoy. I bet, I bet. And like, this is this is something that I was thinking about a few things to to quiz you about because I've I've been following what you've been doing for a little while now, and I've been really intrigued with uh, the the caliber of guests that you have on your podcast. And something that I was really worried about when I started my podcast was being a musician myself. And when you do interviews, and and I I even did a stint where I was I was interviewing some larger artists and doing sort of the press for some, you know, for different webzines, et cetera. And you do the, you would do the, um, oh, what do you call it? Like where you'd be, there'd be 20 spots um, and that person's bank, bl- blanked out for yeah, two yeah. hours and you could be the, the fifth person or the 20th person or whatever it is. And, you know, if you're one of the last people in that list, they're exhausted, you know, you're just crossing your fingers that no, nobody's asked these questions before you and they take it very sort of run of yeah. the mill. And so when I started my podcast, I looked at it and went, I don't want to do that. Like I'm, I'm, I'm so ultra paranoid that I'm going to offend somebody or I'm one of my heroes, someone that I really look up to and I'm going to either gush too much or I'm going to ask something that's stupid and they're going to respond really badly to me. And so I've, I've really, I mean, I've had some, some great people on over the years, but I've really steered clear from a lot of that. And one of the things I was going to ask you is, mm-hmm. you know, what was, I guess, obviously the intention behind the podcast itself, um, where that'll come from, but was there, was there a clear intention that you wanted particular people on your podcast and, and did you think about sort of how you were going to approach these guys who have been doing interviews in some cases for decades? Yeah, I think it, you, the, that part of your question there about what inspired it, because when I worked for Telstra, I was working up in Cairns as well. So I used to fly in, fly out. So I'd fly up there on Sunday nights and fly back Thursday afternoons or Friday afternoons. So I was living out of a suitcase for years, and I even worked on the Sunshine Coast doing that, family being based on northern Gold Coast, and I was just traveling. I was living out of a suitcase. Man, it was crazy. I'd, I'd live out of it. I'd park my car full of musical equipment at Brisbane Airport on a Sunday night or a Monday morning, then I'd get come back from Cairns on the plane and I'd get into the car with all of my gear ready from when I set it up almost a week prior, drive to the gig that I had, the <laughs> wow. covers gig that I was doing. 
and in and in between them, I was listening to podcasts, and there were two main people I was listening to. The number one person I listened to that I was really inspired by was Joe Rogan. Mm, yep. Okay, so his podcast for years, just being on the road, being by myself, outside of doing video calls back to the family, that was really the only company I had because who watches TV from about year 2010 onwards? Like, you know, <laughs> it just I don't watch it in hotel rooms. So I was just putting it on the background as I tapped away on my laptop doing all the usual stuff we had to do as account executives and as a business development manager at Telstra. So that's so it came from that. But the other person I was inspired by too from a musical perspective was the great Jamie Jaster yeah, because yeah. I really admire him. I've got to tell you, I really, admire, I really admire him and I'm really inspired by him because he's a music fan mm. and so am I. So are you, mate. You know, I can tell with your podcast you're the same and it doesn't matter what genre people are playing or what have you, you can connect on some level if you're a genuine music fan and it – help being a musician too, being able to connect that way. But um, I think in terms of the big jump across from being an account executive to actually starting writing about music and doing podcasts and stuff, I got burnt out at Telstra big time. I ended up in hospital. Now, I've got something called uh, severe ulcerative colitis when I get treated as a Crohn's patient. I was only at Logan's hospital, Logan Hospital yesterday. Yeah. Uh, with my usual outpatient appointment. So what happened was I was literally working myself into a hospital, into the hospital. Mm. So I wasn't taking the medication that was going to keep me out of it, and I was so stressed doing it. And I got to the point where I was earning good coin, mate. You know, you know, I was paying the mortgage really easily, to be honest with you. And had we all got good cars. And but, mate, I wasn't even miserable. I was stressed. Yeah, that's the big difference. And I'm a bit like a duck in that I don't look stressed, but underneath the water, I'm paddling away furiously. Mm. And uh, I was actually looking after Far North Queensland for Telstra at the time, like the account sales team, not the whole of Telstra, but the accounts, the salespeople. In other words, the people who go B2B business salespeople. And it's very stressful because I used to get off the uh, the plane and it was Monday morning. I got off the plane, got my car at Avis. Then I was on the phone straight away to dial into the regional manager's meeting, Queensland manager's meeting. And you're doing this and you're thinking, this is crazy. What the hell am I doing? You know, like I, I don't even have time to have like get a cup of coffee. You know what I'm saying? So, inspired by Joe Rogan and Jamie Jaster, I thought I can do that because I'd interviewed heaps of people be courtesy of my role at Telstra and thought, why don't I just start interviewing musicians and see how I go? And it came from the most unlikely source that I got my start. Now, I think you know who Steve Mascord is, the Fairfax journalist who writes mm. rugby league articles yeah, and he's also yeah. got a bit of a music presence. Yeah, absolutely. So, he put out on Twitter about four, four or five years ago, he put out um, – that he was looking for writers for Hot Metal magazine. Now, I grew up with that magazine. Yeah. <laughs> and I responded to him, and to my great surprise, he responded, he, he, I, you know, he, resp he put out there saying, looking for writers for HM, and I said, look, I'll do it, and he responded to me. And then we, we had a bit of a to and fro, and the first interview that I ever did um, was with Vinnie Apice from Black Sabbath. Oh. Now, if you know me, you know that I love bloody, <laughs> nice. you know that I love... Dio era Black Sabbath, yeah, okay? Yeah. It's my favorite, actually, Black Sabbath era by far. So um, on I go to that call there, and as you can appreciate, I was fairly nervous beforehand, but by the time I finished that, I'd actually realized that I could do it. And then the next interview is with Blitz from Overkill, and he's a hero of mine. Yeah, well, and I, I, I wouldn't call us friends, but, you know, whenever we catch up, he remembers me, so we connect and we talk about what's going on in our lives and all the rest of it before we get into the interview. So it's a really easy way to have a discussion. But he was the second one. And then I think the third one was like Andreas from Sepultura. So the nice, big hits well. just kept on coming. 
and and it was all courtesy of Steve-O. So I really owe him a debt of gratitude for that. And and um, then I started to link up with John John Howarth a lot mm-hmm. more, and we started to take our conversation offline. And we realised that we've got a lot in common with each other. We're good. Well, yeah, we're mates. We're mates, it's yeah. fair to say. And also, um, Chris Murray gave me a lot of opportunities as well. Um, but that was really through Anwar at Metal Obsession. I started writing for Anwar. Mm. Um, so I started writing, and so what I started to do was. Sure, I'll do the article, but I'm also going to start my podcast series. And the first ever interview I did, I got off my own back for the podcast series. So keep in mind, there are all those people that I did articles for. And I think I've repurposed a lot of it as podcast episodes just because I'm a fan and I know the bands and I think people would be interested in the responses. Okay. But the first ever interview that I reached, interview subject I reached out to for the specific purpose of starting the podcast, the first ever guest was David Vincent from Morbid Angel. Yeah. yeah cool. Now, again, <laughs> You know me. I'm I'm, a, I'm probably the world's biggest Morbid Angel fan to the to the extent that I've interviewed Trey's Trey's mother, who's probably my favourite <laughs> interview subject of all time. So cool. You know, she's a lovely lady. She's a lovely lady, mate. And really, podcasting what it does is mate. It allows me to connect with musicians that have meant so much to me because I went through a Sydney boarding school. I went through a Southern boarding school, mm. and. There were times when I felt really isolated and alone there because I was the only heavy metal fan in the whole year. Me and another kid from a few years below, I think, and we used to sort of talk about it for, you know, Megadeth cancelled their tour in 93 or 94, but we were keen to go to that, that sort of thing. So, you know, I went to a few gigs along the way, but I really had to wait until I left school before I was able to go to a few heavy metal gigs and really enjoy them. Um, so in that way, I think I was able to forge my own opinions about music, being left alone just to read the mags at the time, like Hot Metal and um, Kerrang! and all that shit from overseas. Um, but I was really drawn to death metal, I think it's fair to say. Even though I'm a bass player, I was really drawn to it from a musical perspective. So to interview David Vincent, whose music I'd been listening to for, man, it's been close to 30 years now. Yeah, yeah. Um, you know, since um, really since Coven, I'm not going to be too cold for cold. I was only a kid back then, but <laughs> I'm in my 40s, but... You know, Deicide's Legion and Morbid Angel's Covenant are really the two things that kicked it off for me. Uh, and and parallel to that, I was listening to a lot of the funk metal bands being a basis like King's X and 24-7 Spies, Faith No More, Living Colour. Living Colour, I've been really privileged to chat to those guys recently as well. So that's what got me my start, man, and I've just kept on going. And I think, as you know, mate, you hit a bit of a um, – the caboose tends to get over the hill, so to speak, and people start reaching out to you and want to be want to be interviewed. And recently, I had George Lynch from Dawkins Agent reach out and ask me to interview him. So, really cool things like yeah, I mean, really cool things like that are starting to happen. And because I'm a music fan, to be honest with you, I don't have to take too many notes or make up too many questions. It's fairly stream of consciousness. But I try to I do make it as relevant as you know our previous interview. Hopefully, it came across. I do specifically ensure that the reason for an interview was outlined so whenever i do the introduction to my podcast series it's always the reason for the chat is etc but that's only one facet of it there's another nine or ten things we can talk about and to your point you nailed it that a lot of the interviews are sort of you know ninth or tenth in the row but i've got a bit of a trick you know i try to go really early in the morning and generally speaking john is John can arrange for that, and I get them all to myself, and we can have an hour-long conversation or whatever. Excellent, you. excellent. Yeah, very good. And I think, I mean, I think you you nailed it. Where you know you've got that point of difference where if you've got, and it's, I shouldn't, I'm, I'm not going to brush everyone with the same stroke, but you know where you might have somebody that works full time in uh, in the music media, um, you know, compiling interviews and stories over and over again, there are instances where it's a bit of churn and burn. Your, your, your content building 
you're trying to you're trying to fill in mm-hmm. editorial and and you know for for you know audio you know radio and whatever it is you're you, it's a tick and flick sort of thing in some cases and you certainly get that uh, that vibe and I think a lot of these guys these bigger bigger sort of legacy artists who've just you know iconic figures um, especially the guys who've come from North America um, there's a big culture or has been a big culture of that in the past where you'd go and do your radio spots and it'd be very sort of clinical to the point, you know, very segmented and you go in there, what are you promoting? You know, ask the same questions over and over again, sometimes not actually understanding enough about yeah. the artist or respecting them. And then out you go, we're moving on to the next person. And so I think there's sometimes you walk into these or, you know, uh, to use lack of a better term, walk into these uh, these conversations where you have got a bit of an uphill battle with certain people. But I think just the way that you've explained and given context, you're you're a true music fan. You're an enthusiast. You've got a passion for it. Where there's a level of excitement going to speak, going into these conversations to speak to these people because you genuinely want to talk to them. And I think people will. And I've I've heard I've heard you know, a lot of a lot of your conversations where. I think people understand very quickly and go, oh, okay, this is not just the run of the mill. Someone's going through the motions and not listening to my answers, waiting for the next cool. question. Yeah. We're, we're interacting, we're having a conversation. And that was something that I've been sometimes a little bit too hypersensitive for myself with people, but I've tried to really make it a conversation format rather than just this Q&A thing where you finished your answer, now it's my next yeah. question, and, and that's all it is. And Jasta is a, is a prime example of that. I mean, he trails off and, and just craps on for ages about all sorts of stuff, and sometimes you listen and go, oh, man, rein it in, man. You're like, what are you, where are you going with this? But it's, but it's, so, much, yeah. it's so much yeah. fun listening to him because it's him, it's his personality, and as you said, he's a music fan and he wants to be there. He wants to talk to people. He wants to pick people's brains. You hear him like trying to squeeze out a bit of music industry talk from people. He's trying to get a bit of business happening and he's pitching mm. ideas and, I love, oh, yeah. and yeah. I love listening to that stuff. And so, you know, for me, sometimes I, I think I, from doing interviews over the years and I'm, oh, I certainly can't put myself in the same bucket as some of these iconic artists, but, you know, having a bit of experience of the, that churn and burn sort of approach that some people take with you when you're doing an interview, I sometimes, it it impacts me too much where I'll go into a conversation or I'll, I'll reluctantly not actually approach some of these people because I'm too sensitive to the fact that I'm potentially going to fall into this Q&A sort of format where I know that I wouldn't, but I'm just, um, I think it's just mm. a bit of a fear thing. So um, it's it's interesting just to hear that because I think it's... This is, sense. yeah. The easiest way around it, I've found, mate, is to not have a set of questions actually even prepared. Like yeah. the only questions you actually have prepared are about the reason for the conversation. So as you know, mate, you get these email blasts and it says you can interview such and such an artist about this tour or this album. Great. So you do your research on that album and this tour. So if it's a tour, so I interviewed Gene Hoglan recently mm. uh, from Death. You know, I mean, I'm another big fan of Death. You know, yeah. they're up there for me. So. I, was, I had, you know, the reason for the conversation is to talk to Gene about the Death, the, the Dark Angel tour, sorry, not Death Angel, but Dark Angel tour. But I already know enough, being a real fan of heavy metal, to just go, right, I actually have spoken to Gene before, and of course I wouldn't expect him to remember it. Back in 99 when he toured with Dev, Heavy Dev on the Strapping Young Lad thing, when they did that that um, Ocean Machine Infinity Strapping Young Lad set. Yep. And I, um, I had a... I wouldn't say a long conversation with him, but it was about Control Denied because that's when the Control Denied thing was released and I wanted to know why he wasn't on it, why Richard Christie was on it and he didn't want to give me the answer back then. He was he was trying to be a comedian back then, you see, and just not answer the 
you know, the 19-year-old who'd had five or six beers. You know? <laughs> but I don't blame him because he probably got punished heaps. Probably gets punished heaps. But he was a wonderful interview subject this time around and was more than prepared to talk about all of that sort of stuff, you know. So, yeah, I think um, just being – it's exactly why you play Music Man that we spoke about before. It's, it's just being a fan first and foremost. You know, there's no money in this. We know that. So, But, I mean, God, man, what greater reward than to – think that fairly soon you're going to talk to George Lynch who plays in Dokken and also KXM with, with you know, he plays adjacent to one of my heroes, which is Doug Pinnock from King's X, yeah, yeah. you know, and you think of this and, and I was talking to Whitfield Crane yesterday about Ozzy Osbourne, about the Osbourne family, you know, because I've spoken to Bob Daisley, you know, Ozzy's yeah. bassist, this guy from Sydney, bloke, seller from Sydney, who yeah. <laughs> made people don't know until they know, but now you know he wrote all of that stuff through the 80s, certainly the lyrics and the vast majority of the music. You know, that's that's why Ozzy, you know, through the 90s, there's not a lot of output there because he didn't have that relationship with Bob, certainly as far as I'm concerned. But you're able to talk to these people. I've spoken to Zach, you know, he's played with Bob, he's played an album with Bob. You know, you speak to these guys and there's just this, and you know what I mean, there's just this pinch yourself moment through the conversation. It's like, holy shit, I remember listening to this guy in a discman in the back of my parents' car when we were driving to a restaurant one night back in the 90s. <laughs> and you do this and you think, you think, man, how good is it to be alive? And in that way, you just think, man, I'm just so grateful that I've got an opportunity to contribute back. As ironic as it sounds when you're not making any money or what have you, but you're still so grateful that you get an opportunity to be part of the excuse the term, but the ecosystem, if you know what I'm saying. And, and, and the, the thing that I and what I really like too is for me with the podcast series, uh, about half of my audience is from North America. So I get a lot of communication from people from the States and I really appreciate that, particularly indie bands and bands that are on minor labels and the like. Um, and I try to help out any band by giving them an interview, but I generally have a – my rule is you better have a tour or an album, otherwise I won't talk to you because I've done a few of those conversations where you don't have either and we're usually talking about why you should have a tour or an album <laughs> and it's usually why he doesn't understand you and why you know why why people don't understand your genius or something and they're, they're painful, punishing interviews and I don't do them anymore. And, and they're predominantly, mate, I've got to tell you, with local artists. Yeah, I mean Australian onshore artists. Sort of had a few of them, and I just don't do them anymore because you want to you want to have people like yourself, man, who get it. You know, I think I think it also helps because, and it's it's taken me a while to sort of understand it, but I think you need a bit of an anchor. You need a why as as far as why are we getting together? You know, what's what's the where's the sort of the the needle pointing that we know that you know we can we can dance all over the place, we can go in different directions, go off on tangents, and have a great time, but ultimately. Where's this leading to? What's what's the what's the end goal here? And and when people have got something a purpose there, and it, sometimes you know my problem initially was I thought it was too cheap, but you know we we were you know people only wanted to talk to me or you know we would do something because they've got something to sell, they've got something to promote, and I wanted to talk to people about other things, you know. But I learned very quickly that you need that navigation in there. You need something, you need some foundation to know what is that purpose of getting together and having that conversation. And you don't have to focus on it completely in that conversation. It can be something that you, you refer to the time, you know, at different times throughout the conversation, or you, you wrap it up towards the end and you know where it's leading to. Um, and you can get quite, quite creative with it, but um, I agree. And I've, I've had my experiences uh, just chatting to different people where, Sometimes you're you're in that conversation. You're like, I 
I like, yeah, it's okay. Like I'm, I'm having a pleasant conversation, but where, where's it going? Like, where, what are we doing here? Like what, what is the purpose of this conversation? Mm. And sometimes they, sometimes they still work. They're okay. But, um, other times it's sort of, you, you get off that, that call and you just sort of go, Hmm. Um, all right. Now how do I, how do I spin this? How do I sort of fix this up and make it into something, you know, with a little bit of a, a little bit of a compass, you know, in, in a direction that's going to make sense for, for mm-hmm. everybody that's going to listen. So, um, I, I certainly, I certainly get that. It's taken me, take me a little bit to sort of understand that. And I think one thing that I've appreciated a lot just from doing podcasting is just to see what it's like to be curious and to ask questions and to, to peel back the layers of other people and just find out why people do things or why they behave in a particular way. And, and to go back and talk to a lot of my peers, you know, people that I've known for years and drunk beers with and shared stages with and toured all over the world. And then you mm-hmm. get a conversation going and you're like, oh, I've known you for 15 years and I didn't know that. Oh, well, okay. That's weird. Yeah. And so yeah. it's, uh, it's just, it's, yeah. it's a, it's a different perspective that you, you, you take on the whole thing. It's been, it's been at least for me, very, uh, very rewarding, a bit of a self-development journey for myself. Yeah. And I think like you do it really well in the, these aren't Q and A's. These are conversations, you know. And I've and it, I, I listened back to some of my earlier interviews where the interview subject hadn't been interviewed a lot, but uh, the Tim Amar one. I mean, I can mention it because I'm not causing any offence here, you know. But the Tim Amar one from Control Denied, massive Chuck Dean offence. So, so and but he was not in a good place in his life at the time, uh, and I hope his things have gone a lot better for him. But. Um, it wasn't necessarily his fault, but there's a lot of ums and ahs from both of us, so it's not the most engaging listen. And look, he just doesn't do interviews, okay? So I sort of, there's that there's that sense of, do I leave it up because it's not my greatest interview in terms of the way that I conducted it and there's some ums and ahs from myself because I'm copying his language? And that was the episode where I learned not to copy the interview subject's language. Mm-hmm. Does that make sense? You'll know what I mean. You do not copy their mannerisms. You've got your own style, you know, ride with it, let the good times roll with how you do things. And it's still a very engaging listen with Tim, but if I could redo that one again, I would, that's for sure. But that's not a bad one by any means. Like the quality of your content is very high, but it's just as a listen, if you know what I'm saying. Yeah. I, I'm i still getting better at that. I'm trying to get better where I'm like, I've I've always said I'm a bit of a chame- chameleon where I'll, I'll adapt to my environment in the sense that, you know, depending on who I talk to. Um, it's not that I'm two-faced or anything, but I've, you know, I've, I've my bread and butter for years, just in every dynamic of my life has been communication. It's been using, <laughs> using my mouth for a lack of better term there, but it's, it's, uh, it's talking to people and, you know, if, mm-hmm. you know, trying to get onto people's level and talk to them in a manner that makes sense to them. And sometimes that can be quite beneficial, but in other in other instances, you lose your your own uniqueness, your identity, your own color and context and, and whatever. And so um, I certainly have listened back to a lot of my podcasts that I've listened, uh, put out there and, and I listen and go, oh man, like, what am I doing? I'm, I'm like completely changing my tone for this person because they're talking at a particular yeah, pace or absolutely. whatever. Yeah. And I've learned to get better. And I think a lot of that's also confidence to, to know that you know, I can be myself and, you know, and, and just, you know, you can still be respectful and you can still com- uh, connect with somebody and have great rapport and not to have to adjust too much to, to their liking to make them feel comfortable. Um, so there's a lot of, mm. there's a lot of things that you don't really understand until, 
well, until it's down, until it's recorded, and then you start to listen back and go, oh, geez, is this what I really sound like? Am I really you got to do it, haven't you? Oh, it's, yeah. it's scary stuff. And I can understand why a lot of people um, don't like the sound of their own voice. I mean, I, as people probably laugh uh, me saying it, but I, I hate the sound of my own voice, even though I talk a million miles an hour and can't stop talking. Um, <laughs> don't be <all>. but, I listen, <laughs> but I listen back to edits and, you know, I'm, I'm working out what to, what to cull and what to move around and whatever, and, and I've got to hear it. And it's really difficult and I procrastinate over it because it's just a really hard thing for me to do. I just do not like to hear myself. And But it's very rewarding because I learn a lot about myself and naturally over time... I become a better communicator. I'm far more respectful and more self-aware of myself in situations, and and um, it's it's just made me a better person. But it hasn't hasn't come easy. It's been a lot of a lot of uh, blood out of stone. Yeah, and there's often signposts that let you know that you've improved to a point where you wanted to get to when you first started. And that for me happened with Lucas Mann from Rings of Saturn. Mm. And the reason for that was um, the interview. The first fifteen minutes of the interview, I really had to draw it out of him. And the reason beyond that was because he, you know, he's just starting to come out of, I guess you'd call it touring hibernation. You know, he had a lot of problems because of shit that was written about him on social media. He's a tremendous guitarist, by the way. Mad respect for Lucas and Rings of Satin and what those guys do. I was right in front of them up here at um, Brightside when they were playing there. And God, they were good. That whole band are just on fire. But for the first 15 minutes of my podcast episode with him, he was giving me, you know, the one-word responses and so, but I persisted from, from the perspective that I knew he had a good story to tell. And I thought, and with the greatest of respect, I thought, no, I've, I'm going to use you all of the time that I have here, which is probably 30 or 40 minutes. And we're going to talk about stuff which is very relative for him about what he's gone through. Eventually, he opened up. And honestly, it's, it's I'm, I'm very, I've got a lot of pride in that particular episode there because it could have been a five-minute conversation and I might not have even have aired it as a podcast episode because because he's very guarded and i understand that i'm not blaming him at all i understand why he is because of the issues that he had because of what people have said about him on social media so he's guarded about what he says to people in case they take it out of context now that conversation went for about 40 minutes or so and he ended up posting it himself mm, that's cool because so i got my podcast episode yeah you know when artists do that you know you've you know you've you know you've made an impact and you're memorable and i really appreciate that but i probably appreciated that more so than than any of the others because I know that that was his great unveiling as far as I was concerned because he actually gave a lot of people insight into why he was not not so much not touring but the thoughts and feelings around what were happening around shit that happened to him. So he didn't go into any detail on the events, but he talked about his feelings about it. And I think that's really important when you can get people to talk about their feelings. You know you've gotten through. Do you feel, do you feel that it's a similar thing for yourself where you – over the over the time of doing all these these interviews and talking to people and having these conversations and like that example is a perfect one where you you've learnt a lot about yourself over those years of of sort of thinking about how how you hold yourself how you communicate with people how like whether it be the next person for your podcast or whether it be you know a friend or a family member or, or whatever it is is have you seen those changes in yourself that you've become more aware and have, have improved as a person because of because of all of this intense communication that you do? Yeah, and I'll, I'll say absolutely, definitely. And how I bookended it is by doing Toastmasters as well. Mm. Okay, so that's yeah. been really important for me to do that because Toastmasters gives you, without being running an ad for it, <laughs> Toastmasters gives you the opportunity to basically do a public speech every every two weeks. And wow. we all struggle with confidence. We all do, mm. okay? 
but because people like you and I are, you're more in the public spotlight than I am, but the opportunity for both of us to potentially step up and do emceeing and all of that sort of stuff is very prevalent. Mm. He's very real, sorry, for us, and particularly because I'm a journalism student at Bond, like I'm doing the broadcast. I was a, I was an announcer on 4 Z, you know, but I've I, I got to say that I haven't learned as much through doing uh, podcasting and also being a Toastmaster. I mean, being a Toastmaster is very rigid, it's very rigid insofar as they've got a style, they've got a technique, you bind to that and away you go. Now, not for a moment do I incorporate any of that in my podcasting, but to your point about confidence, it gives me a lot of bloody confidence, brother, to do what I'm doing when I'm, when I'm, when I'm podcasting because I'm, I'm comfortable within myself. Does that make sense? Yeah, absolutely. I'm, I didn't know about the Toastmaster thing and um, I'm keeping an eye on that time because I – I would go down a rabbit hole with you right now on Toastmaster. Like that's that is something that I think for me, uh, just really appreciating podcasting and communication, and it's sort of been more amplified over the years as I've really dove into a lot of this stuff. Is what is that next thing for me? That next challenge? And I think uh, you know I've done I've done public speaking, um, and uh, I think overall I've had pretty good experiences, but I also know that I shy away from it because. It, it, there's a different level of vulnerability that's attached to it and you need there's a lot more cues and a lot more things that you have to factor in that you don't that you're not so conscious of when you're like we are now having a conversation more or less over the phone and it's mm. uh, it's a very daunting and very overwhelming thing that most people most people unfortunately can't do they talk about like some of the biggest fears that people have is getting in front of people and, and talking about something so um, oh, people would rather die as Seinfeld said people yeah. would rather die turn up funeral and public speak and it's it's crazy because it's it's not that hard but you've got to introduce yourself to it it's one of those things it's a bit like flying in a plane you don't take off after 10 meters you take off after a kilometer or two you know and it's the same thing with public speaking you've got to give yourself that year or two of being a toastmaster really to be and i haven't been doing it for that long i've only been doing it for six months or so so that's how recent it's been but i did a lot of um talking at telstra where i was having to stand up in front of people and mm. But it wasn't structured like it is with Toastmasters. Toastmasters I like because it gives you that structure. And sometimes you don't like the feedback, aka criticism you get about a speech you've done or the way you've conducted a role in Toastmasters. But you've got to live with it because that's the nature of the environment. And honestly, there's no better environment than Toastmasters to develop confidence for public speaking, I don't believe. You know that. I just I can't think of any other environment where you're regularly giving public speeches and also, more important, impromptu public speeches because you've got the table topic masters, the table topic speeches where you've, you're selected randomly, two minutes to talk about this subject. And it might be about Christmas, it might be about World War II bombers, might be talking about the recession of the, in the 90s. But you go, you've got to talk about it, and you're not given any time. Go. <laughs> and I've got to tell you, mate, that's that's holding your feet to the fire. You oh, know that? I'm sweating and, just thinking and about I'll it. And I tell you... And, <laughs> Oh, it's 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 random because it doesn't. And I've got to I've got to share this with you. It doesn't mean you just have to talk about that, but you can talk about what you know your feelings are or what your memories are from that time. So, what was my recent one? I got asked to talk about what a gunpowder breakfast was. I don't even know what that was. <laughs> you know that. So, I think I ended up talking about swimming or something like that. So, you know, yeah, that kind of creative like, way to segue. Yeah, absolutely. And in that way, I think it gives you. What it does is is there's nothing – I'm not even that nervous anymore about impromptu speeches. The ones that get me a bit nervous are when you've got weeks to plan and there's going to be a massive audience. They're the ones that get me nervous. So, well, because I'm at uni, when I'm doing a presentation, it's 40% of my overall grade. 
Mm. And you've got to get it right because they're not worried about what the paper says. They're adjudicating you or they're getting your assessment. Your assessment is based on how you present yeah. and the content in that. And if you can't do it, you know, they're going to mark you a bit for effort if you've tried and you've clearly done the work and you can turn in the paper with a whole bunch of words on it. But, man, I can tell you, having been in the workforce for 25-odd years or thereabouts, those who can present, those who can talk, not not even those who are knowledgeable, those who present, those who can talk and do it well, they're the ones that are going to win the coin, going to get the money. Well... Money and talking, they're too good. Uh, they're, that's a good combination, something that I haven't quite mastered yet, but uh, I, I like the sound of it. Absolutely stoked that you got in contact with me today, and, um, yeah, I will, uh, we'll definitely keep talking. Okay, brother. No worries at all. To learn more about Scars and Guitars and Andrew McKay-Smith, you can go to scarsandguitars.net. You can search for Scars and Guitars in your preferred podcast player as well. It's pretty much everywhere that you would expect to find a quality podcast like Andrew's. So um, as I said before in the intro, I'm going to dump a bunch of uh, links to Andrew and his podcast in the show notes over at andysocial.net, but I'll also um, pick out some uh, choice interviews that uh, he's done over the years, some fantastic people that he's spoken to. Like I look at some of the people that he uh, he he puts these episodes out and I just go, oh man, like far out, dude. How'd you get that person? And um, he's just, he's got a gift of the gab. He asks some amazing questions and really gets nice and uh, personal and candid with uh, some of the best out there. So really, really cool podcast. Um, great to see um, other people out there doing the podcast thing and uh, really pushing hard into the music domain with podcasting. So excellent work that Andrew's done and extremely stoked that he decided to reach out to me and have me on his podcast as well. So go and check it all out, uh, scarsandguitars.net, all the podcast haunts, or you can go to andysocial.net and click on all the links right there. Alrighty, well, uh, so updates. Um, I am recording these intros a little bit in advance, but um, we are currently in week the second full week of uh, Fallen Idols being out and um, we are, as expected, dro- we have dropped out of the ARIA chart, so we're no longer in the top 20, but, um, you know, I was surprised we even got it to the top 20. It was amazing. So um, that's gone straight to the pool room. Um, I sent a copy of the charts to my parents. uh, So everyone got a kick out of that. And um, yeah, I look, who knows, maybe we could get back in. But uh, the fact that we debuted number 20 on the ARIA charts was absolutely amazing. But uh, week two, we are still in the Australian independent charts. We are number 12. Um, So that's fantastic. It's amazing that we are still in those charts uh, for a second week running. And I reckon that we can continue on um, for some further consecutive weeks with a bit of focused planning and attack there. So you would be seeing me posting all sorts of stuff all over over social media. Um, Please just message me if you're keen to help out in any sort of way. Now, you don't have to buy anything. Um, Like if you can refer someone to buy the album or download it or whatever, then that's fantastic. But there are lots of great things that uh, people can be doing to support us getting word out there. Um, One idea that um, I've had is actually getting people to go to all of these metal Facebook pages and Instagram pages and uh, Twitter pages where they're asking questions about your favorite metal band or your favorite album at the moment or what you're listening to and just referencing Fallen Idols as much as you can. Uh, So very little things. Um, they're, They're small and trivial, but they add up. And when people continuously see the band and the album referenced in lots of different places, then eventually people feel compelled to, you know, click on that Spotify link or go and listen to a song somewhere on YouTube. And hopefully 
fall in love with it and end up getting their own album. So, uh, lots of little things add up to big things. So any help that you guys can do and continue to do means a hell of a lot to us. Um, but we're really, really happy with where we're going, uh, with this album so far. It's just been, it's been incredible. So very, very cool. Um, but yeah, please reach out to me if you've got any ideas or you want to help. Um, I'm all full of ideas, so I'm happy to, to throw some suggestions at you guys as well. And I will absolutely, uh, compensate people for massive efforts. So I've got t-shirts, I've got CDs, I've got all sorts of stuff flying around and I'm happy to send it all over the world to people that do amazing things for us. So if you want to be a part of it and you want to help us sort of push this album to, to more and more people, um, we're happy to take care of you guys as well. So there you go. Uh, self starter as usual, no massive updates here. The episodes are coming out every fortnight. Monday mornings at 5am. So I'm not sure what episode will be out by the time this comes out. Maybe episode 36, maybe? 35, 36? Anyway, uh, you can check all that out, selfstarter.com.au. The episodes will run up until the end of this year, and then we'll see how we go. But uh, season one is already out. Season two is out right now. Um, And please, if you know anybody out there that wants to start their own business or has just started or anybody that's just looking for more information to to help them improve in this uh, small business or self-employment journey, directing the self-starter, give them an episode to check out and uh, it'll mean the world to me and hopefully it'll help them as well. And uh, I think that's about it. Uh, you know, there's always things going on. I'm sure I've got more updates to do, but um, I'm in the process actually of moving back to Sydney. Um, we, Jess and I have uh, done our little stint down the South Coast. We bought a house down there and um, our goals that we had uh, were meant to be down there for a few years and we've ticked that goal and we've done the appropriate uh, planning and saving and all that sort of stuff. Um, and we are ready to move back up to Sydney. So um, at the time of recording this, uh, we are in the midst of doing that. So I'll be living right smack bang in the middle of the city. So I'm looking forward to reconnecting with a lot of old friends, um, people as you're traveling through Sydney. So mates in bands or anybody else listening to the podcast and you've got some time, um, reach out to me, shoot me a DM message anywhere on the socials, and I may be able to meet up with you and have a beer. So happy to, and really looking forward to reconnecting or connecting with as many people as possible now that I'm back in the thick of it. So looking forward to that. That is enough from me. Thank you so much for the support. As always, keep sharing these around and uh, yeah, good. Okay, awesome. All right, see you later. Bye-bye. Larry. Larry, please.